Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Breaking the Game podcast. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Gillespie, and joining me for the first time in what seems like forever mm-hmm. is the regular co-host here, Austin Carr. Austin, how's it going, man? Oh, it's good, man. I'm happy to be back at it. I'm, it was nice to have a little break, but I'm, I was definitely missing the show. Uh, happy everything worked out for you. I'm glad everything's going okay. How you been? Oh, man. Uh, I could write a book on how my move went across country. It was oh, uh, sure. pretty eventful. Uh, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, started out in Washington State, and now we are back in Georgia, which is where we were about a year ago to the date. So, um, oh, man. It's just been the typical uh, – it was, it was like a family vacation. You know, the the movies that you see, it felt just like that. So, oh, I'm sure. Like I said, we can write a book about it and – Probably yeah, my, we struggle with a road trip. I can't imagine moving across the country. Yeah, and we got three kids, and my wife mm-hmm. is like in the third trimester right now of pregnancy Oof. number five. So it's uh, yeah. it's been it's been fun to say, say the least. But uh, sure. you know, glad to be back here on the show. Glad to be talking NBA. I'm sorry that I have been absent for probably the most important part of the NBA season, but it's all right. Life happens. We'll get back into it. It's no big deal. That's right. And we still got a lot of NBA finals ahead of us. And luckily right. for both of us, I have been paying attention, even though I haven't really been able to be on shows. But, right. you know, been plugged in. We we don't have to talk about the Clippers losing or anything like that. Um, you know, that that was pretty <laughs> sore for me. But uh, it's OK. It, we the, don't have to talk about Boston Celtics. either. Yeah, we were both high on Boston. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Miami I figure Miami probably matched up against the Lakers a little bit better due to Bam mm-hmm. Adebayo. But, uh, yeah. So far, it's not looking that way. Do you want to go ahead and lead us into how yeah, game one Yeah, I'll go ahead and get started with this. I mean, you guys know I'm a pretty big Lakers fan, so I'll try not to be too much of a, a, a homer on all this. You're the um, only one that's got a dog in the fight left, man. So Right. <laughs> uh, game one went about as good as uh, as it possibly could if you were rooting for the Lakers and probably about as bad as it possibly could if you're rooting for the Heat. Um, everybody that's been watching knows Miami lost Bam and Goran Dragic to injuries. Um, anybody that's never had to deal with plantar fasciitis or having a plantar tear, I actually had that exact same injury, um, seven or eight years ago. And I was in a walking boot for almost three months. So, uh, it's definitely not a fun thing to try to, to try to play through if he does. Um, so definitely don't expect to see him anymore. Um, Bam might be back, but you know, even before they went out, the Lakers were kind of starting to pull away. Uh, I'll tell you what, the first five or six minutes of the game, it was uh, pretty rough if you were, you know, like for me at least. The Heat were hitting all their shots. They were looking good. Um, from that point on, uh, the Lakers just kind of took over. It was pretty obvious that their uh, their size and athleticism advantage uh, is going to be hard for Miami to overcome. Um, the, the zone will help with that some that Miami's been running. If, if you haven't been watching, Miami's been kind of <laughs> using a zone defense for pretty much all of the playoffs uh, right. off and on. Um, but a little bit of stats for the game. Let me get my notes are on the wrong page. One sec. There we go. LeBron had 25 points, 13 rebounds, nine assists. Anthony Davis was the leading scorer with 34 and nine. Uh, KCP, Danny Green, and Alex Caruso were all in double figures for the Lakers with 13, 11, and 10, respectively. Uh, Jimmy Butler did have a good game. He scored 23 points, but he only had seven in the second half. Uh, honestly, most of the second half of the, the game was out of out of reach the final score was 116 to 98 but i feel like it wasn't even that close you know about halfway through the third quarter the lakers were up by 32 points um and it was just a a beat down from that point on um the other 
scorers in double figures for the Heat were Tyler Hero with 14. Kendrick Nunn came out of nowhere, hasn't played for a while, had 18 points, uh, and took over for Dragic when he got hurt. And Jay Crowder mm-hmm. hit four threes and had 12. Um, Adebayo only played 21 minutes before he had his neck injury. Goran Dragic only played 15 before his foot injury. Jimmy Butler rolled his ankle twice. So, you know, they got pretty beat up. Um, and like I said before, their, their lack of size and athleticism beyond Bam, you know, they have Kelly Olynyk to put in there after him. And he's not going to be able to, to keep up with Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. Um, the Lakers out-rebounded Miami 62-40. to 40. That's a huge advantage. Uh, the Lakers actually made four more threes than Miami. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the threes in game two after this, too. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, the Lakers made 25 out of 27 free throws. That's something that's kind of been uh, a bad thing for them in the playoffs so far. They've struggled from the line, but they shot really well from there in the game one. Miami was 11 of 14, so not too bad either. Um, the Lakers had three more assists. Miami turned the ball over four less times than L.A., Miami actually won the points in the paint difference, 46 to 38. Uh, they won the pass, the fast break points, 12 to 10. They won the points off turnovers, 16 to 14. And the Lakers were called for four more fouls than Miami. So if you were just looking at this, it, it almost you could make the case that if you didn't know the score or watch any of the game, that Miami almost looks like on paper like they outplayed the Lakers. But obviously, Correct. if you watch the game, that was not the case at all. So yeah, so. You were going over what I like to call the winning stats. You know, mm-hmm. people who are familiar with the show know that I use that phraseology quite right. a bit. Because when you look at, you know, the points in the paint, you know, the turnover differential, you know, fast break and uh, the foul situation and, and the free throws. Right. Like you talked about how that was almost uncharacteristic of the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And my guy, Jeff, who's a part of the off the ball network with me, made the statement that finals LeBron is a different type of human, which, you know, amen to that, like. It's almost like he kind of takes it easy a little bit, and I'm not trying to stir the pot here and draw a lot of LeBron hate or anything like that, but he does very much so ramp it up in the playoffs, and the Lakers did turn it around, and and even game two, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. you know the free throws and the three points and the turnovers were all things that we had looked at throughout the duration of the playoffs, and it was something that you know, we constantly criticize them and the Bucks for the thing is, is that the Lakers have the best player in the NBA right now and LeBron James on their team and mm-hmm. arguably another top five talent in Anthony Davis, whereas anybody else that the Lakers are going to go up against don't have that caliber of player that they're going up against. So you can't count on someone just to be able to ramp it up. Someone that that someone like LeBron James has been able to do throughout the duration of his, you know, entire career. Right. Yeah, you make a good point about them both being top five talents. Obviously, you know, I'm in agreement with you. I still think LeBron's the best player in the world, and I don't think it's particularly that close. Um, and, you know, all throughout these playoffs, the the Heat have played good teams. You know, they they swept their first two series. They, they you know, beat Boston, who we both were really high on. But they didn't play anybody that other than – or they didn't really play anybody that was a top – five talent other than Giannis and he got hurt. Correct. And so they haven't really had to go up against this kind of um, opposition. And, you know, what you said about Anthony Davis, I mean, he's scoring over 30 points a game in the play in the finals. Mm-hmm. He's been on fire. Uh, I'd like to see him rebound a little bit more, but that's what Dwight Howard and McGee are out there for. I feel and like. LeBron. Kind of, and LeBron, <laughs> obviously he gets a lot of rebounds too. Um, 
You know, in the first half of that game, the Lakers went 11 of 17 from three. They were the 23rd best three-point shooting team in the NBA this season. So that kind of did come out of nowhere. Correct. Um, and that's the that's kind of the crazy thing to me is they're they're winning. They won game one at least doing things they don't normally do well and not really doing the things they do well as good as normal. They didn't really score that much in the paint, which they were the number one scoring team in the paint this year by, mm-hmm. by quite a bit. And they have been in the playoffs by quite a bit. Um, the others, you know, like Shaq and I like to call them, mostly Shaq, but I stole it from him. But, you know, uh, they all made plenty of shots. You know, they were they were hitting their threes when they when they had to take them. Alex Caruso has been terrific on defense and offense. You know, mm-hmm. he's just kind of in there. He's a he he looks like he doesn't belong, and then he gets in there and kind of plays great defense on whoever you put him on. He disrupts things. He's just kind of a pest. And just about once a game, he gets seems like he gets a big dunk and, you know, kind of gets the momentum going back in the Lakers favor. And I think at least the bench reaction, cause there's no fans in the stands, obviously, but I think the bench reaction is pretty awesome every time that happens. So, sure. you know, the Lakers went from looking like a team that were, was built around two guys that didn't really have enough, you know, complimentary pieces and no shooting to a team that, looks like they're loaded and deep and throughout this playoff run we've seen that they can kind of play any brand of basketball any way they want and they're still going to excel and you know you can say what you want about the last series you know they were anthony davis shot away from being down to one in that series they had a couple close games but in all reality they've pretty much dominated everybody that they've played up to this point you know going four one three straight series like that is is no small feat in the playoffs uh, regardless of if you have to travel to their court or not, I, I think that makes some difference, but I don't think it makes that big of a difference. Um, so, you know, it's been impressive to see how everything's gone for them so far. And I just think any doubt that LeBron was still, you know, the best in the world has kind of been put to rest at this point. He didn't really play his best game in game one. And that's kind of crazy to say, cause he was an assist away from a triple double, but you know, he, that's kind of become commonplace for him. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of comments, especially like on my own thread. You know, I, I'm friends with a lot of NBA, you know, fans. If that's probably hard for you get to imagine out there if you're watching or listening now. But uh, you know, I do talk a lot of NBA basketball, and a couple of my buddies made the point that LeBron quietly almost had a triple double, which it did feel that way because with AD, you talked about how great he's been lately. His numbers, like what you see on paper, is exactly what you see. When you're watching him play, it's very upfront. It's very, you know, obvious that he is dominating the game with LeBron. You go back and look at the game stats and you watch the film. It's just like, wow, he really did have that many points per game. It's just that he's consistent throughout the duration of the game. Whereas Anthony Davis will go on runs where it's just like, man, like this dude is just eating them alive. And you brought up that Miami zone that we keep Mm -hmm. seeing that's because they don't have when you got when you have guys like tyler hero and and duncan robinson out there these guys are not man-to-man defenders right Mm -hmm. and then especially putting out a kelly olenic instead of a bam Adebayo, that's the best thing that you can do is they're the lakers to shoot right now they're they're capitalizing on that right so um Mm -hmm. my buddy steven keeps pinging in on here uh (laughs) it's crazy that that uh, he every time I talk basketball, my buddy Steven comes on here and wants to talk about the Clippers because I guess he <laughs> thought he knew I was really high on the Clippers, but I can take it. Uh, buddy Steven asked, Steven, would Kawhi or Giannis be a better fit on this Heat team? Um, 
I just work. We don't got to spend a lot of time on this. I think Kawhi would because I think that Giannis would kind of gunk up the 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 flow of the game a little bit. I think that Kawhi, his defense, he's almost like a same type of player as a Jimmy Butler, and mm. having those two type of guys really wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah, I think you could definitely match up two wing players like that a little bit better with with Bam than you could uh, Giannis. So I'm kind of in agreement. Plus, I, f- I feel like Kawhi's game, he can kind of fit on just about any roster. You know, he can do so much that I, I think, sure. you know, other than trying to be maybe the primary ball handler and playmaker on a team, I think he could do just about anything else. At a yeah, and level. I'm going to touch on that here in a little bit. And, and, one and of you, know, you know how I feel that that's kind of one of the – one yeah. of the things that they do too much with Giannis. So correct. But um, um yeah, yeah, going into game two though, uh it was a 10 point victory, 124 to 114. Miami was without Bam and Goran Dragic, which you know, we talked about both of those guys getting hurt. Jimmy Butler did play, although he did roll his ankle twice in game one. So you know he's not a hundred percent. Um AD led the way for the Lakers. He was 32-14-1 and one with a steal. Shot 75% from the floor, 100% from deep and the free throw line. Uh, LeBron James had, a again, another quiet 33-9-9 and nine with a steal and a block. Uh, 56% from the floor, 37% from deep, and 40% from the line. Rondo Kuzma and KCP all kicked in double figures with 16-11-11, and 11 and 11 respectfully, or respectively, excuse me. Uh, Jimmy Butler led the way for the Heat with 25, 13, 8, and 1 still. He did only shoot 41% from the floor, missed his only three-point attempt, but was 11 of 12 from the line. Kelly Olenek stepped in, offensively at least. He had 24, 9, and 2, 56% from the field, 42% from deeps, and 60% from the line. Hero, Nunn, and Crowder all were in double figures with 17, 13, and 12. Here's where it gets a little bit crazy again in game two, much like it was for game one, right? Mm-hmm. Miami was 0.2% better from the floor than LA, but it had 13 less makes on 26 fewer attempts. Jeez. Let, me, let me say that again. They shot better from, on the, from the floor than LA, but on 13 less makes on 26 fewer attempts. I don't know how you shoot 26 <laughs> fewer attempts than any team, let alone in the finals, and expect to win. Right, Miami, right. That, that offensive rebounds are just unreal in the Lakers' favor so far. Exactly, and then Miami shot six percent from deep or six percent better from deep, but had five fewer makes on twenty fewer attempts, twenty fewer three point attempts than the Lakers was Miami, and they led the NBA in three point shooting this year. Mm-hmm. Miami shot thirty three percent better from the line, and had twenty one more makes on 17 more attempts. So that's really where they had a the only big advantage they had in this game, which kept it kind of close going into the third quarter a little bit. And then both teams had nine turnovers. The Lakers committed three more fouls, but they had seven more rebounds, plus 10 on the offensive glass, like you had just mentioned earlier there. Mm-hmm. Um, three more assists, two more blocks, four more steals, and was plus 10 in points in the paint. What do you think yeah. about that, Austin? When you hear um, that, it's kind of it's another kind of a, a head scratcher a little bit in some of those some of those team stats you read off. Um, you know the fact that it was close again in points in the paint, and oh snap, it was close again in points in the paint. It was close on closer on rebounds in game two, but still, you know, a big Lakers advantage. Um, the thing that surprised me the most was the was how well Kelly Olynyk played. 
you know, he yeah. did, he looked great. He had 24 points. He hit what three threes. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, he filled in well for Bam on the offensive end. I think obviously where they miss Bam the most is going to be defensively and as term in terms of rebounding. And well, and stuff. having the ability to have the offense run through him on that elbow right. with the handoffs and the cuts that they use off him, almost like Nikola right. Jokic in a way, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely. I didn't even think about that, but yeah. Um, you know, he was guarding LeBron a little bit in game one, and I think honestly he kind of gave him some trouble. He's athletic enough to stay with him for the most part. He's, he's big and strong. He can kind of, you know, meet LeBron at the rim and at least give him some, some trouble, make it a little switch on on the pick and roll too. So, and you know, the zone is great, but most of the time, like you said, teams run a zone because they can't match up. Well, the Lakers are so big and they're so good at getting to the rim that if they play, if they tried to play a zone the whole game, they would get killed. And And you have, the league's leader in assists this year on the right. Lakers right now. You so know, they've got and Anthony Davis isn't a slouch either. He can pass a little bit. You know, he can oh, pass yeah. out of a double team. They they'd put him him or Dwight Howard at the high post and they would just have a field day. But yeah, um, even Howard was having a couple good looks. I mean, right. even if they didn't result in assists, he was well, making was the right passes. One other thing I wanted to uh, kind of touch on the in the in the Western Conference Finals when uh, Frank Vogel went to Dwight Howard in the starting lineup. I think that was a great move. Um, I think that's kind of in, instilled some energy and some life into them a little mm-hmm. bit because he's be, he's become he's become like uh, almost like the cheerleader for the team. You know what I mean? He's like the hype man. He comes in yeah. and everybody's energy kind of goes up. He he uses his fouls wisely. You know, he gets big rebounds. He plays great defense. He's kind of like the the glue guy. He's kind of become a glue guy in a there way for the Lakers. Yeah. You know, to use your term. Um, you know, going forward in the series, I would like to see Bam and Goron come back because, you know, you always want to beat a team when they're at their best and you don't want to hear people talk about, oh, we lost because of injuries. I mean, there's injuries every year. The Warriors lost probably because of injuries last year, last season, right? A couple years ago when Kawhi was still in San Antonio, they looked like they were going to give the Warriors a lot of trouble until he sprained his ankle. And, you know, mm-hmm. this has happened all throughout the history of basketball. Yeah, so I don't, don't want to hear about right, against Paul. I don't want to hear about injuries being the reason this team, you know, one team won and the other team lost because it's just, you know, that's part of the game. But I would like to see him come back. You know, you don't ever wish injury on anybody. Um, Tyler Hero, another one I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit. You know, he mm-hmm. had the he set the record for most points by a rookie in a playoff game, I think, or tied it at 37. And, uh, then what? Two games later, he broke the record for the worst plus-minus in a playoff game ever. It was minus right. thirty-five in game one. Yeah. Um, you know, and I honestly, I watched the whole game one. He didn't look like he was out there doing anything too bad. He didn't really, you know, he wasn't like a glaring weakness or anything. So it was just kind of interesting to see those numbers and you know how they, you know, how rookies are. One game they look like they're going to set the world on fire, and the next game they're, you know, look like a rookie. Um, Correct. Yeah. And you look at a stat like plus minus two, you got to be careful with that. That's really not an individual statistic, right? Like, oh, I know. The whole team was basically minus 30 for that game. Right. Right. Like, you. Goran Dragic was the only one that wasn't, actually had a plus and he only played 15 minutes. Yeah. And he, he, the only reason he did so well was because he got hurt as far as that plus minus category, right? Because early, we talked about how early, Miami did have that lead, and then there was like that huge thirty-point swing that we saw in the second, third quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like I said, I think the entire Heat offense or the entire team Heat rotation was minus thirty for that game, or close right. to it. 
Um, I wanted to ask you something a little bit about, you know, going forward in this series. If the mm-hmm. Lakers do end up winning as we, as you know, I think you and I both kind of expect and just about everybody does at this point. Yeah. Um, anybody who wants to be real. And I just want to touch on that just real quick, Austin, or let me get to your question. I think that we need to stop doing like this whole charity case thing for the Miami heat. Like, can we just stop? Like we know that they were a good team. Like I had them beating the bucks before the playoffs even started. And I had them giving the Celtics heck, but not beating them. Right. So I get that they're a good team. Like I, I knew that coming into it, obviously, but we can stop with the whole like rah, rah heat thing against this Lakers team, because even with a fully healthy heat team, the Lakers were going to win anyway. And now that they're two of their three best players are injured and their third player isn't even a hundred percent. Like they're not even talking about that. Jimmy Butler rolled his ankle twice in game one. Like you're not going to be all right with that playing mm-hmm. every other night. You're not going to be right playing on that ankle. So like all three of those dudes are hurt. And then Duncan Robinson and Tyler hero have been effectively neutralized by the Los Angeles Lakers. We can stop with the whole, like, trying to build the heat up, I guess, to help validate this Laker mm-hmm. championship. Like, I, I still think it counts as a championship when they win. I'm not going to, like, discredit them or anything like that. But, like, we don't have to try to, like, make the heat out to be more than what they are. You know what I mean? Like, Right, yeah. Not- no, I, I agree completely. And I saw something on TV the other day that I definitely agreed with. You know, just about every, you know, superstar of every era that's won multiple championships has kind of had that one that was just a little bit easier than the rest. And right. it, it's, this is kind of sh- how that's shaped up to be for LeBron. You know, they didn't and have to play okay. Milwaukee. They didn't have to play Boston, who everybody thought were the two best teams. Or Toronto. Or Toronto. Yeah. They didn't have to play the Clippers, which, you know, I think ultimately they would have beaten all those teams anyway. But, you know, that's just how it falls sometimes, you know. Yeah. and It's not the Lakers' fault that all those other teams lost. Right. Know? And it, to the people that want to say the NBA is scripted or the refs call games a certain way to try to, to influence who makes it to the finals – we wouldn't have this finals matchup if that was the oh, case. No. We wouldn't no, have sir. missed Clippers Not versus the Lakers finals. if that was yeah. the case. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, we wouldn't have the Denver Nuggets in there. They're not exactly, you know, a huge market with a rabid fan base. They've got great fans, but it's Denver. It's not, you know, Chicago or LA or New York. You know, the mm-hmm. Knicks wouldn't be the worst team in the league for the last 20 years if that was the case, you know. I and, hate when people try to tell me as a basketball fan, like, Oh, the NBA is much better. Like you mentioned the Knicks, like when the Knicks are a good team it's better for the NBA. Like mm. we, you don't have to tell me what's better for me. Like I'm 30 years old. The Knicks really haven't really ever been that good right. in my lifetime. So, and I've been okay liking basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, you don't have to tell now, me I think that. that was, I think that's something that maybe, you know, made sense 15 or 20 years ago before the league is was as big as it is now sure i mean you can watch any team anywhere anytime you want back when you had you know one or two games on tv every week and you had to hope the team you liked was on there it kind of probably Mm -hmm. shaped a lot of people's fandom you know because that's who they could watch that's a good point and you know now you can anybody can kind of watch any game whenever they want if they know where to look so I, i don't i agree with you i don't really think that holds any water anymore either like the finals were just as great last year with toronto and golden state as they've ever been with the lakers and the celtics or you know any other big market team or marquee franchise and you could talk to me about like this is lowest rating finals ever like i don't care i'm still watching i'm still loving it like i don't have a team those numbers don't account for streaming either and there's like they said there's estimates of like 100 million streams at any given time so you know Mm -hmm. those numbers could be completely off and they, and TV isn't watched the same way it used to be. And the ratings don't really account for that. So, you know, that's sure. kind of 
the way the narrative gets pushed by people who want to act like the NBA's, you know, in a bad place or whatever, because I just don't see it. Um, neither do I. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting back to my question. So if the Lakers do win, who do you think so far deserves the finals MVP? I'm glad that you asked this because I was going to ask you this anyway. Mm-hmm. As of two games, I have Anthony Davis. Now, I think that the argument is very valid for LeBron James. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the statistics and the averages and things like that, Anthony Davis has been the more efficient player. He has led the team in offense. Now you say nine assists for LeBron James, and this is where it gets to be a close argument. Like I think that the case could be made for either one of them. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have Anthony Davis. That's not to say that come game three, my opinion won't change. You know, and, and my buddy uh, Will just said the same thing. AD for MVP. I agree, but like you could get into a very detailed argument, or you know what have you for LeBron James. And I can't really like, it's not a snub. Whoever wins right. it, it's not a snub against the other one. It's just that the Lakers just so happen to have two really talented players. Right. It's a great problem to have, isn't it? You know, it's just <laughs> yes, kind of the same issue they had when it was Shaq and Kobe, you know, um, I agree with you. I think it's been Anthony Davis for one reason. And if, if you watch the games and don't look at any stats or box scores, who sticks out more? And so far, it's just it's been Anthony Davis. You know, he's had big moments. He's had big quarters. LeBron's just kind of been LeBron all the way through. He hasn't really had just one of the like best a, to ever do it. Right. Yeah. He's just he's like his <laughs> he's like his baseline normal LeBron that we've come to be used to. And mm-hmm. he just kind of quietly controls everything and i saw something that really made me think and it was really interesting the other day it said lebron's probably one of two or three superstars ever that can completely dominate a game and while scoring 15 points yeah you know because he he does everything else so well he completely controls the pace of the game you know everything is kind of how he wants wants it to go and I think honestly, if he was really that worried about who was going to be Finals MVP, he'd go out and drop forty or fifty points if he really need. If he really was that worried about it, I think he could, and I think he would. I don't think yeah. it matters to him. I think what he said about him and Anthony Davis not being jealous of each other is the truth. And, yeah. and you know, I'm sure that's hard to come by a lot of times in the NBA, especially with younger players. You know, they think I got to be the guy on this team, and I just think that's overblown, and it doesn't really matter all that much. And I don't think it matters to him as much as people think it does. And I, I agree with you. I think just Anthony Davis has been, like you said, he's been so efficient. You know, he there's he has no holes in his game right now. So none. Yeah, and I just want to say to speak to a couple points you just brought up. One, I think you're kind of seeing what a lot of people wanted to happen with Golden State, which it did happen, right? When they started saying who's better between Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, mm-hmm. that got to Kevin Durant. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that that ate at him. Oh yeah. And and it led to an ugly split between them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that we didn't really get to see everything that happened between the two of them, you kind of read between the lines with how he never once said that he wanted to be in Golden State. You know, mm-hmm. never once said that he felt comfortable being on the team. He kind of, right. you know, snipped at reports and things like that and created fake accounts and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, it's just. I think you're kind of seeing the same thing, especially with LeBron as polarizing as he's been throughout his entire career. I think you're kind of seeing the same thing where people are wanting LeBron and and Anthony Davis to split up. I think obviously that LeBron has a lot more legacy wise on the line if he does not get this finals MVP. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, obviously chasing Michael Jordan if he's not ahead of him, depending on how you slice the bread. I really don't care to get into that conversation right now. Like I have MJ over him right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say, oh, poor LeBron James, he's only the second best player to ever do it, right? right. Um it's just I think people are trying to create these narratives that did successfully split up the Golden State Warriors. They're trying to do the same thing with LeBron and AD. And right. really the only one that you got to worry about leaving is Anthony Davis because he has control of his future right now. And you're seeing all these reports just so happen to be at the same time, all these reports that, you know, Chicago really wants to make a push to grab him now because that's mm-hmm. where he's from. And now all of a sudden people are saying that LeBron, the only reason people want LeBron to win it is for legacy purposes over Anthony Davis. Right. So I just, I think that there's, a little bit of like ulterior motive and agenda behind oh, definitely the, the narrative. And mm-hmm. I really hope pe- that the two superstars don't buy into that false narrative and it doesn't look like they are. Right. And I think ever since the, you know, his first year with Miami, when they lost to the Mavericks, I think LeBron's kind of put that whole thing is out of his head. He's been able mm-hmm. to kind of compartmentalize, you know, whatever else anybody else thinks doesn't really matter to him. You know, let the media say what they want. It's, at the end of the day, they're they're gonna hate on him no matter what. He's he's arguably Correct. the most hated athlete in in the history of sports, and mm-hmm. and it hasn't affected him yet. And I don't think it's going to now. And kind of the same with AD. I don't think AD's ever really seemed like a guy that worries a whole lot about what the media says about him. He's a little bit of a quieter guy, but you can tell when he talks in the interviews now that he's he's extremely confident in himself. He seems happy playing with LeBron. You know, I think they get along really well. Most success he's ever enjoyed in his career. I think that he's pretty happy to be playing where he's playing right now. Right. And some people don't like their hometown. You know, I mean, Chicago is probably a pretty cool place to be from, but some people like to get away from their home and all their friends and never want to look back. And sometimes it's best for those people. I mean, if everybody played where they were from, you know, half the league would be on different teams than they are now. And be on the Lakers. Right. There's so (laughs) many guys from California. It's, you know, it's crazy. And then which team do you go to if there's more than one team in your state? So it's just, you know, that's a pipe dream. I think every, every fan base kind of hopes for, but I just don't know that it's realistic. Um, The bulls, I'm kind of excited to get to talking about them here in a minute, but you know, that would be interesting to see. Um, You know, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on who you thought would be the finals MVP so far. I don't really have anything else. No, I don't either. And we can go ahead and transition to the news. And since this is your, this is a guy that you're really big on, I'll let you go yeah. ahead and lead into the discussion. For sure. We, uh, well, we just mentioned the Bulls. And, uh, you know, since we last were on here, they have hired um, Billy Donovan to be their next head coach. And as Steven said, um, I'm really high on this, on this pickup, on this hiring. I think it's going to be great for the Bulls. I think Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnasovas, their new front office, are serious they're gonna really you know turn the bulls into a destination franchise like i I feel like they should have been all along you know paxson and foreman kind of for a long time made chicago not a really nice destination for coaches Mm -hmm. or, or players really in general you know ever since the the breaking up of the 98 bulls even even though you know that was jerry krause ever since that point the bulls kind of have never seemed like you know, they were a real player on the stage. Like they're sitting at the big boy table now kind of thing. Um, well, and I think, for, I would say except for, you know, the Derrick Rose and right. And uh, Jimmy Butler, Lou Audain. I, I just meant more like they've never really been in the, in serious contention to pick, to get big free agents. 
And they've kind of always gone after either first-time coaches or long-time assistants. Um, you know, Hoiberg, That's say true, what yeah. you want about him. I think he was, I think he did a fairly good job with the Bulls. They just didn't have the talent at that point. And then now with Boylan, I think they did have the talent and they do have and the talent. Like LeBron James is East too. Right. So like, yeah. <laughs> nobody that didn't help. nobody was eating. So right. And you know, they did have a few good years there with Derrick Rose. And he was like we talked about. It. He was from Chicago and he was a hometown kid, and that was great. And it and it worked for him. And you know, those were fun times if you were a Bulls fan, but realistically, they've never gotten anywhere near back to where they were, you know, in the nineties. And mm-hmm. Not saying that they're going to become a dynasty or win multiple championships under Billy Donovan, but I think he's a proven winner. You know, he's made the playoffs all five years that he's been a head coach, and he came into a great job in his first year that he had KD and Westbrook. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I think anybody would say, you know, most coaches could make the playoffs with those teams. Um, I don't really buy into that a whole lot. I think coaching really, really talented superstars is probably harder than just about anything because it's a delicate balance of keeping control of the locker room, but also earning their respect. And, you know, I think Billy Donovan's shown that he can coach superstars that are already established. He's obviously good at, you know, um, developing talent. He was a great college coach. He never had a top 10 recruiting class and he won, you know, back-to-back national championships. Um, So he's obviously gets a lot out of his players. Um, And I think it kind of gives the Bulls some options here. They can, try to go the rebuild route and try to develop the talent that they have on that roster. Now, you know, they've got marketing, uh, Kobe white, and I can't remember the big guy from Duke. What's his Wendell Carter jr. Sorry. Um, they've got those three that are all lottery picks. Huh? Don't forget my big guy out of Arkansas Gafford too. Oh yeah. 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 They've got him. So, you know, they've got good talented young players all over the, all over the roster. I just don't think they've had, the coach, the coach or the system in place to kind of develop them at all. You know, Larry Markinen taking steps back just about every year since his rookie year. And, you know, I was really high on him coming out of college. I, you know, he's a seven footer that can really shoot. Um, and I just don't think they've been used the right way. And I think Donovan's system, he can bring in a winning system right away and coach those guys up a little bit or this, you know, the front office, I feel like probably sold him on a vision that they're going to try to make a run at some big free agents or make a, make a big trade or something, because it's just, I know it's Chicago versus Oklahoma city. Those are two totally different worlds. And Mm Chicago is probably a lot more attractive to a head coach, but he, he left Oklahoma city because he didn't want to go through a rebuild. And that's kind of what Chicago is going through right now. So Mm -hmm. that kind of tells me maybe that they're going to try to make some moves with the guys they have on this roster or, you know, package them with this high draft pick they have. Um, so I think it gives them, you know, multiple routes they could go to building a winner. And I just think, you know, it legitimizes their intentions to do that. Yeah. So I know that you're um, Billy Donovan. He was yeah. your choice for coach of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, you're really high on him, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not as big as a believer on Billy Donovan and I'm sorry to my buddy, Jeff, who is hoping that you're correct. And, um, you know, he's a big time Bulls fan. I got a couple Bulls fans that I'm really close with. I'm right. Re- I'm really not trying to rain on y'all's parade or yours, mm-hmm. Austin. Right. Because like I said, I know you're a big fan. I'm just not that big of a believe in him. Right. Like the reason right. we were told that OKC and him, you know, mutually agreed to part ways. It, it wasn't a firing. Right. Which we'll talk about a guy who was fired here in a little bit. But 
you know, they mutually agreed. They, they had beers together. They, they reminisced on all these great times that they had and said, you know what, let's just kind of go our separate ways here. And, and that's real fine and dandy. But the reason we're told that that was that the Thunder are going through a rebuild. Well, what are the Bulls going through right now? Like to me, it seems like more of the same. We talk about how young the Chicago Bulls best player is right now. And Zach Levine, he's 25. Kobe White's 20. Wendell Carter Jr.'s 21, Markinen's 23, Gafford's 23. The Bulls also have the fourth pick in this year's draft, so that their overall age for the roster is about to be even lower. In mm-hmm. OKC, the Thunder still have Chris Paul, right? Like he's one of the elder statesmen in the NBA right now. He's probably not going to be there, but right now he's under contract. If he were to pick up that 40 million, you know, dollar player player option, which mm-hmm. I don't see why he wouldn't. So. You know, he's largely considered to be a, a trade piece or, you know, maybe even a buyout, which I don't understand why they would just buy him out. But anyway, he's, you know, in his 30s, he's an elder statesman. They have Steven Adams, they have Dennis Schroeder, and they, and if you're into young players, SGA is probably one of the more intriguing young players in the entire NBA. He can play the mm-hmm. one, two. We even seen him play a little bit of three in Oklahoma City. All these draft picks that they have, you know, the the Clippers just fired Doc Rivers, which, again, we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is that the beginning of the collapse for the Clippers? If so, then those draft picks look pretty darn good for the Oklahoma City Thunder on top of the other ones mm-hmm. that they have too, right? So right. I'm not really seeing a, a huge change in area other than the actual city, right? Mm-hmm. And then you talked about how successful he was as a head coach. Well, you coach Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Victor Oladipo, PG-13, CP3, you know, kind of underwhelmed with some of these teams too, right? So when you have, Kev, you know, you blew a 3-1 lead, you know, that's apparently a big deal in the NBA nowadays, right? But right. That's something that I'm, I'm going to kind of kill Doc Rivers for later, so I can't really, you know, be too wishy-washy on that. So I will give you that. He has blown a 3-1 lead for sure. That's that's a red flag too. Right. And then you see, uh, I don't have this in my notes, but I was thinking about it when you were talking about marketing. How much better did Sabonis get when he left the Thunder, right? Like he was just mm-hmm. a stand-in-the-corner three-point shooter. He didn't develop. Like what, what, are, what evidence are we led to believe that he has developed these young guys? You know what I mean? Like young guys haven't really done well under Billy Donovan and he has benefited from playing or coaching, you know, all NBA MVP caliber players and run very isolated isolation centric offenses. So I'm not really buying into the fact that he's going to go into this young team and do well. Like you could point to this season and say, well, look at what he did with, you know, all these superstars gone. He did have Chris Paul, who we all know is a great basketball mind. Will probably, if he chooses to be, probably will be a great NBA head coach because of how dominant of a floor general he is. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying into Billy Donovan being a great head coach. Is he? Does he deserve to be in the NBA? Sure. Like, I'm not saying he shouldn't hold a job, but mm-hmm. I don't know why he was so highly valued and sought after and why him if you've seen players or coaches like Doc Rivers, Nate McMillan, I'll get, they just flat out get fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, here he is having beers with his guy, Sam Presti and riding off into the sunset saying, you know, we just, you know, it, it was almost like he was given the chance. Do you want to come back or do you want to go look somewhere else? Like, I just don't see what he has done given the talent that he's had, given the lack of development, young players he's displayed, 
and how he's underachieved with such great talent. I don't understand like why he's given this special treatment compared to other coaches in the NBA. Yeah, th- those are good points. And as far as underachieving, I mean, obviously this year's most recent season, I feel they definitely overachieved with the roster they had this year, compared, at least right. compared to everybody's expectations. And the 3-1 lead, you know, that was against the Warriors. That was against one of the best dynasties of our lifetime. So, you know, that you kind of have to take with a grain of salt, too. The fact that they were even up 3-1 to begin with, you know, says a lot about that. But I don't know that that was so much him as much as it was, you know, Kevin Durant's one of the best two or three players in the world. And you'll have that when you have guys that good. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just think for the Bulls situation, they needed somebody that's going to come in the locker room right away and be respected as the head coach. I think the, the players right away will, you know, listen to him and take what he has to say to heart and really, you know, buy in. Um, at least from the get go, uh, from the jump, I think it'll be an upgrade from Boylan because you know all, oh, all sure. I've ever heard. I mean, all I've ever heard about <laughs> that locker room is you know that he was he was just had odd antics and he didn't really have the players' ear. And you know, a lot of times that that can be the big difference is just the players buying in because everybody in the NBA, like we always say, everybody in the NBA is really good. You know, yeah. everybody can play. There's it's there's serious levels to this game and how good you know, the, how big the difference is from even being a college star to being a pro star. It's a night and day difference. You see guys come up all the time and become superstars from little schools that you've never heard of, you know, Damian mm-hmm. Lillard comes to mind. And so I think anybody can be good, whether or not you can win championships is a different story. There's only, I think there's a reason there's only a few that have ever won more than one, but um, I just think, like I said, you know, I think he, he legitimizes you know what they're trying to do. It shows that they want to build a winner. I think him, his knowledge of how to, you know, how to build a winning team and how to coach a winning team is going to help. Um, they've been to the playoffs. Like I said, he's been to the playoffs five years in a row. And I think they kind of probably valued that experience over some of the other guys that they had been interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not too high on Ty Lue as a head coach. And I don't know if he was ever really an option for the bulls. Um, but there's, Kenny Atkinson kind of came to mind as somebody I that like I Kenny would be a great choice. I, I Kenny the so pool. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Right. Like, that's their mascot. So, yeah. And, uh, but from what I've heard in interviews, he comes off as kind of full of himself and arrogant. So who knows, maybe he just doesn't interview well, but I, I kind of feel like to be successful at the top level of whatever profession you're in, you have to be a little bit full of yourself. Like they yeah, always I mean, say he's in the, he's in the NBA. I mean, it's mm-hmm. same players are like that like coaches if right. you get it to the nba there's only 30 jobs available mm-hmm. so it's even harder to get a coaching job in the nba than it is to be a player in the nba right you know and you know like they say something about you know players that make it to like the nba or the nfl you know they say like three quarters of them on average are kind of psychopaths in a way that they think no matter who they're going up against they're always going to be the best yeah and that's to, kind of the to mindset you have to have to, yeah, to, to make it and you know i mean the guys in the locker room will eat you alive if you ha- if you don't have if you're not confident in your game or confident in your abilities. So I don't I don't really know why that was such a big issue, but apparently he didn't interview well. I, I've heard that from about from more than one team. Um, so he's kind of taken a step back to the other, you know, coaching candidates that are out there. Um, and I just think Billy Donovan fits the fits the situation. Like I said, if they are going to try to make a big move at a for a free agent or make a big trade. I think it definitely, 
you know, gives them options here because he does kind of have experience with both types of rosters. So that was kind of a big, a big aspect for me that I really liked. I don't think Billy Donovan's, you know, the best coach in the NBA by any means, but I, I do think he's a good coach and I think he'll at least be able to, to turn the bulls into a, a perennial playoff team and someone that can actually compete. Yeah. I mean, he could probably help like, it just kind of works like this in the NBA, right? Like when you have a young team like this and they get a chance to grow and develop together and you bring in a somewhat competent head coach, especially in the Eastern Conference, the top half of the East is basically set, but he can get them in a position where they can compete for that sixth, seventh, eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have much else on that. I'm a lot more excited to talk about Doc Rivers than anything. Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> I've been talking about Doc Rivers with so many people and I feel like I should be hit an assistant coach under him whenever he right. you know, whenever he starts in Philly. Hey, I'll let you go ahead and take take it away with this one. Okay. I cannot for the life of me understand why all of the sudden Doc Rivers is viewed as this overrated head coach. Like I get it that you know, I, I'm aware of the three to one leads that he's had in the playoffs. I'm aware of the fact that he hasn't made the Western Conference Finals in LA. I'm aware of the fact that his offenses aren't like super innovative or groundbreaking or anything like that. However, and even going back to the coach that we just talked about with Billy Donovan, I cannot for the life of me understand why the excuses that I hear for other NBA head coaches don't apply to Doc Rivers. Okay. Take Nick Nurse. His team was injured for most of the year, and he still made the second seed in the East. Doc had basically the same thing happen to him in the West, which is largely viewed as a tougher conference. Mm -hmm. And the Clippers, what seed were they this year, Austin? Two. Two, with a brand new roster, and they were injured for most of the year. They didn't get a chance to develop chemistry. Mm -hmm. And Nick Nurse is excused in the East, right? Did, Did the Raptors make the Eastern Conference Finals? Nope. Okay, the 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 Clippers didn't either, right? Right. Now, take Mike Budenholzer. High mm-hmm. expectations, right? A lot of people had them winning it this year, right? Or at least making it out of the East, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, same thing for the Clippers. They were a high seed, but they lost to a team that was viewed as inferior, although not by me. The Heat were viewed as inferior. What seed were the Heat coming in to the playoffs? Five. They were the fifth seed. What, fifth seed, seed, was yep. the, what seed were the Nuggets coming into the playoffs? Two. They were the uh, third seed. Third, they sorry, were the third, third seed. Yep. yep. So the two seed lost to the three seed, but the one seed lost to the fifth seed. How many? Mm-hmm. And the big thing is, is that they blew a three-one lead. They were up three-one, right? How many games did the Bucks win against the Heat? One. They won one game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's talk about your boy. Let's talk about your boy Billy Donovan. Mm-hmm. He's blown a 3-1 lead, and he's being treated better upon his release from Oklahoma City than Doc did in L.A. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's forget about the fact that he's had multiple MVPs and all-NBA team. You know, let's forget about that. Let's forget about that this is Doc's first year with a brand-new roster. Let's forget about how Lou Williams had the Lemon Pepper incident, the great Lemon Pepper incident. <laughs> let's forget about how Montrezl Harrell was out at the beginning of the bubble after the hiatus, right? Let's forget about the fact that the Clippers don't have a legitimate ball handler. You know, they don't have a create for others type player. All their all their players create for themselves. Let's forget about the fact that all their guys were injured and everything else. They still made the second seed in the Western Conference. They lost to the Nuggets. I get that, right? I still just don't understand how 
all the hate that he's getting this year. I don't understand where it comes from. Like, I get the fact that they lost to Houston, you know, and didn't make the Western Conference Finals. That same Houston was a Chris Paul injury away from beating the Golden State Warriors, right? Right. Okay. There's only been five teams to win a ring in the past decade. Those teams has either have either been super teams, and I'm talking about Miami and Golden State. Mm-hmm. They either have that, they either, or they have you know one of the best NBA head coaches to ever coach in the NBA, and and Greg Popovich, or they have, you know, the best or second best player in the entire, in the entire history of the NBA, and LeBron mm-hmm. James talked about Miami and Cleveland. Before right. this decade, who was one of the most recent head coaches to win before all that happened? Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. He is an NBA level. He is an NBA champion head coach, and I don't understand why all of a sudden he's overrated. And if you don't want to talk about history or his championships, okay, let's talk about current NBA head coaches. Right now, I have Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens, and Eric Spolster as surefire guys that I would take ahead of him, right? Would you agree mm-hmm. with those three? I would, yes, definitely. Okay. You can make a case for Greg Popovich currently, too, because he's got a young team. We've seen what he's done with some some talent in San Antonio. You could throw Greg Popovich in there. I may be able to take Steve Kerr, even though he, you know, almost anybody could have coached that team to a title, right? So mm-hmm. outside of those five, there is not another NBA. You could maybe talk about a guy like Quinn Snyder. Like, we're getting into, like, some maybes, like maybe far mm-hmm. reaches. But outside of those five, Doc Rivers has to be like the best guy available as an NBA head coach. So does it make a lot of sense for you to fire anywhere from fifth to seventh best NBA head coach and expect for things to get better? Right. Even when you're going to lose Montrez Harrell this year, because they don't have enough money to pay him. They don't have graphics, nothing like the expectations. I get it. were high, but again, he was dealt a pretty tough hand and the only way I could justify the firing is if he said, if you get me Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I will win you a championship. If he said that, mm-hmm. sure. But I don't think he's an overrated NBA head coach. Now, if we're talking about him in Philly, I don't love that fit, just because not for the talent aspect or his coaching ability. It's just more of the same what we've been seeing with him. He's going to be dealt some very injury injury prone players. You know, he went from Blake and CP3 to Paul George and Kawhi, and now he's going to be dealt with, you know, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Those guys get injured pretty often as well. Um, there's rumors about, you know, possibly moving on from Ben Simmons if you're going to move on from one. I actually agree with that one. And, you know, bringing in Alvin Gentry, that's going to help with the offense. You know, something that he's kind of criticized for is his, you know, offensive versatility, things like that. So if you bring in Alvin Gentry, that helps. But, I don't understand why he is viewed as this overrated NBA head coach. I get I get the bullet points, but he gets attacked for those more heavily than any other NBA head coach, and he's mm-hmm. one of the most accomplished NBA head coaches currently in the NBA right now. Right. Um, you make a lot of good points, and you have a pretty good argument, and you've you've actually kind of made me think about some things that you know I did, hadn't really considered before, and that's always fun. Um, you know, you do make a good point uh, when you compare him to other coaches. But, uh, you know, something I tell my employees at work is, you know, you can't base your performance and how you think you're doing off of the performance of your peers. Not really. It, it's it's about self-worth and about, you know, your own personal expectations and personal goals. And 
how many casual NBA fans that don't really watch, you know, they, they, they say they have a favorite team, but they, they don't really watch the games or keep up with it. How many of them you think can name Eric Spolster or Nick Nurse? Probably not a lot of them. I mean, they might be two of the more popular ones, but I'm yeah. talking like my wife, you know, she's not going to know who they are <laughs> unless I, you know, ramble about them, which I probably have. But right. I feel like a lot of casual fans know who Doc Rivers is. I feel like he's in the spotlight a lot more than a lot of other coaches. I think he's in the media a lot more than other coaches. Um, and my whole argument stems from the amount of talent that he has coached and the amount of times that they haven't gotten to where everyone thinks they should get to going all the way back to when he was in Orlando. Yeah, he, he won coach of the year in 99 and 2000 uh, with them. And he mm -hmm. did a pretty good coaching job in, in there from the beginning, but you know, he blew his first three, one lead in 2003 with the magic. And, you know, he had a young prime Dwight Howard and didn't do, you know, all that great with him. And then you know, with these Clippers teams, he's had. Whoa, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? He didn't. He didn't coach. He, he didn't coach Dwight Howard. I don't have that wrong. No, that was uh, Stan Van Gundy. Bro. Stan Van Gundy. Okay, I wasn't sure about that as soon as I said it. I kind of thought that might be a mistake. No, it's all right. Anyway, I know, I know you can easily jumble notes and stuff right? like that. Well, yeah, it's all kind of a mashup in my brain, year to yeah. year. Um, give me one sec. Sorry. Here You're fine, man. Here we go. So I think Doc Rivers has probably had, has probably coached the most talent ever in the NBA outside of maybe Phil Jackson and Pat Riley, mm -hmm. um, maybe Doc Rivers, but or I mean uh, Greg Popovich. Um, but you know he's had nine series losses in the playoffs in which he led either two to one or three to one. Um, he's the only coach that's ever lost the three one lead three times, and you know he has won one NBA title. That Celtics team had three Hall of Famers, probably four when Rondo's all said and done. Sure. Um, and they were loaded and they were in, like you said, the weaker Eastern Conference. And I think they only made the finals twice, maybe three times. Um, mm. I mean, that's not that's nothing to, to sneeze at. I mean, that is a good job. But I feel personally that if he was as that good as everybody used to, by the way. Right. Right. Yeah, but, you know, that was kind of before he really took off and made the finals every year. Um when he went to Miami is kind of when that really started. But, uh, you know, that one ring, that Celtics team lost more playoff games that year than any champion ever has. They went mm -hmm. to six games twice. They went to seven games twice. Yeah, they won, but it was far from dominating. And, you know, he had Kevin Garnett, who was arguably a top 20, top 25 NBA player all time. You know, Paul Pierce is no slouch. Ray Allen's one of the best shooters ever. Ray John Rondo at that point, you know, was – putting up they like, weren't all in their prime though would be my only thing to yeah say they, they probably were getting towards the end of their prime and into maybe you know the towards the end of their careers but and then if you go forward to when he first was the clippers coach they had blake griffin deandre jordan chris paul and you know they never JJ even reddick, yeah jj reddick they had jamal crawford they've had lou williams for quite a few years they've had montrez harrell for his whole career so you know he's had a lot of talent there and never even made it to the conference finals. The Clippers right. as an organization have never made the conference finals. And I just think if Philadelphia really wants to win a title with the team they have, they need to try something that maybe they haven't tried before instead of going after another head coach that's been around the league forever, who, like you said, doesn't have the most innovative offensive system. Doc doesn't really 
kind of strike me as a guy to really light a fire under people too well either. I, I, he just, he seems like a kind of a more laid back personality. And I don't know if that'll fit well with Embiid and Simmons. If you want to try to get more out of those guys, because mm -hmm. from everything you hear from fans and media and anybody else, those two guys kind of need a kick in the ass, so to speak. Yeah to kind of get going. They're not really Jimmy Butler supposedly didn't want to stay there because they weren't as serious about winning as he was. And so I think that's where a lot of that comes from. I don't know if anybody's as serious about winning as Jimmy Butler. He's pretty, pretty locked in. He's one of those like psychopaths that we were right. talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid kind of seem more like Shaquille O'Neal. Like they have a lot of other interests, you know, basketball might not always be the most important thing to them. Yeah. And, you know, that's hard to be the, at, you know, the best in the world and win a title if you don't have that mindset. And I don't, Doc doesn't strike me as a type of guy that's going to come in and, you know, restructure the way they do their whole offense and figure out a way to, you know, play Embiid and Simmons together and have it succeed Yeah. versus what Brett Brown did. He does run a lot more pick and roll, which I think will work with yep. them. So that might work out. I just, you know, all throughout his career, he's kind of underachieved in terms of the roster that he's had. And, like you said, it does it make sense to fire the fifth or sixth best coach in the NBA and expect to get better? Maybe not right away. And I know their timetable is pretty short because I think Kawhi and PG can both become free agents after next year again. And they need an ego manager, which is what yeah. Doc is. Doc is an ego manager. He's right. Not and I mean, but if he if if that's if that's what you're saying, if he's really that good at that, then why did they have so many chemistry problems this year? And I you can say they injuries. Played, they I know they had a ton of injuries. But they it didn't seem like they even like, liked each other, you know. Like I, I mean, heard that report about after the game when they lost that Paul George kind of made a speech to the locker room and everybody kind of rolled their eyes at him. It it just seems like you know they don't really have a leader in the locker room, so to speak. And I could buy I could buy that, but I mean I, I like, don't know how much blame you put on the head coach for that. But there's exactly, gotta be some. Like he would he's not gonna and that's the thing, like when you coach in the NBA, it's you're not coaching, you know, you're not coaching NCAA basketball where you're gonna where the coach outlasts the players. So you're in the mm -hmm. NBA, it's the other way around. You know right. what I mean? Like when you get players aren't going to places and being like, you know what, I want you to tell me everything that I need to do. Like even LeBron James didn't want to do that. Remember what happened in Miami? He was mm -hmm. like, Pat, I don't like this coach. You know, we right. we need to change who the head coach is. And Pat's like, No, actually, nope. Spolch is a really good head coach. We're not going to fire him. He said, All right, cool. I'm leaving. Right. Like that can happen to anybody. So you, mm -hmm. you if you're going to have an X's and O's head coach like Miami does, you're not going to land these super big time talented players and keep them like we saw what happened with lebron even wade left you know and i don't mm -hmm. think that was because of spolster but you know they weren't competing the way that he expected you know he's a one of the best to ever do it one of the best shooting guards ever and he wanted to go somewhere else and try to help legitimize his legacy mm -hmm. you know, it took them a long time to land a star and the only star they land with landed was jimmy butler who i view as a star but not everybody does Right, you know, they, he's almost kind of like that, right, just between that all star and superstar is mm -hmm. where he lives it, to most people. So, you know, if you're gonna have an X's and O's guy, you're not really gonna have a superstar unless you draft one, a la Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse, right? So, right. I just, I don't know, like he is an ego manager, but mm -hmm. it's 
his schemes did generate open looks for Paul George. He just couldn't capitalize. His schemes I think did ultimately open looks for Lou Williams couldn't capitalize. You know? I think ultimately, you know, kind of putting your championship eggs in Paul George's basket is kind of a you know a mistake in the first place. I've never been as yeah. big a fan of his as some people. We're kind of retroactively and, seeing that, you know. Yeah, and you know, even when when he was here with the Pacers, everybody every year acted like they were going to give the Heat this this big you know, hard time and take them to seven games. And they did play them pretty well. But to be totally well. honest, I think Roy Hibbert had as much to do with, with that as as Paul George did. Yeah. You know, he never like David stepped West, up in too. the playoffs and became this leader superstar. You know, he playoff P isn't really a real thing. You know, it's just a joke. It's not and, the one that he wants it to be anyway. Right. And uh, um, I just think, you know, he – that's not his fault, obviously – Doc Rivers was the president of of the Clippers for a while, but he hasn't been for a few years. So it's not like he he picked those guys. You know, he doesn't make the mm-hmm. roster. And I think that's going to kind of be one of the same problems in Philly is they have a pretty mismatched roster. We've talked about that on here before. Correct. You know, he's not going to turn these guys into, you know, three-point shooters all of a sudden. He's not going to be able to, to change the way Horford and Tobias Harris play and space the court all of a sudden. Josh, you know, they're, they're, you're right. He's they're going to have the, to do something with that roster. He's got one of the most difficult jobs ahead of him, man, because mm-hmm. they don't have any, like they hardly have any draft picks. They don't have any money to land a free agent and their trade assets aren't the sexiest unless they're willing to move on from an all NBA caliber Joel Embiid or an all in defensive talent in Ben Simmons, you know? So like, right. You got to move a valuable piece. And how often do we see a valuable piece get moved and that team get better? You know what I mean? So like it's right. gonna who who has ever traded a dollar for a handful of quarters and, and ended up being better right away? Hardly anybody ever. It doesn't hardly really anybody. You know, you <laughs> could you could say maybe for a time be, for a time period there, the Knicks looked like they got a they got robbed in that uh Carmelo Anthony trade. They gave up a lot for him. But they even did. that, I mean, none of those guys are gonna be, you know, the reason you win or lose a title. And you know, Oklahoma Carmelo City may Oklahoma City may have a thing or two to say about this argument come yeah. a few seasons, you know. Right. And, you know, I think they're obviously, you know, the, the easiest ways to to build a winner are either get a big free agent or if you can't get a big free agent because you're in a bad market or you're in a small market or whatever, you know, you try to make trades. And, mm-hmm. you know, Oklahoma City, like you said, they're positioned for the next seven or eight years to be able to make just about any trade they want kind of. I cannot wait to see what happens when it's all said and done. I hope hope they do a little bit more with it than Danny Ainge has done so far in Boston. I don't think he's made a trade at the deadline in like five years, even though he's got like a a war chest of picks there. But that's a different story for a different day. Um, Correct. I don't want you to think I don't think Doc Rivers is a good coach because I do. I do think he is a good coach. He belongs as an NBA head coach. I just think it doesn't make sense. with If you look at the rosters he's had, you could say – Playoffs wise, he's underachieved for the most part. He's 91 and 89 overall in the playoffs, and he's 943 and 681 in the regular season. So, you yeah. know, his playoff win loss record leaves leaves a lot to be desired. And it's been a long time since he's made it to the finals. And like I said, he even struggled to get there with that team. And I feel like the, the 76ers have a roster that has underachieved in terms of their level of talent. 
It's going to be so tough for Doc, man. So tough. I think in the East, you've got to think Embiid and Simmons coming into this season. If they could figure it out, I could have seen them being the number one seed in the East. To be honest, before the start of the season, I never he, was in love with the fit of the roster. I was never in love with it. Yeah. I and didn't buy. Yeah, it I didn't understand why they went for Horford either. I kind of didn't think it made a whole lot of sense to replace Jimmy Butler with Al Horford and expect it nope. to work. But you know, again, that's you know out of the head coach's hands usually. Yeah. Um, I just don't see any world where you take a a perennial, perennially underachieving coach and a a roster that's underachieved up to this point, and for it to just magically click and all of a sudden they're a championship contender when. This year, they couldn't even get out of the first round. Neither of them, neither party has made it to a conference finals in a long time. Um, I just think, you know, why not try somebody like an assistant, like a Wes Unsel Jr. or a Ime Udoka or somebody like that? Or why not Kenny Atkinson? Because Jay Wright said that he wasn't leaving to go coach Philly. That's why. Like, you know, you know that they wanted to land him. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he's the first person they called and he just, you know, probably. He's like, nah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Right? He's got a pretty good, pretty good setup. He's got there. a sweet gig going on. And, yeah, for you know, sure. I just, I guess I don't understand how a guy like Kenny Atkinson has been on the market as long as he has. And a guy like or Mark, you know, Jackson, Mark Jackson, who did a good job when he was in, in Golden job. State. People yeah, act John, like he didn't do anything with that roster. Yeah. And, you know, they were good. They, they had never been good in my lifetime. And he, and they were good when he was their coach and kind of just got them ready for, Steve Kerr, I feel like a little bit, but I just think in terms of where Philly wants to be and where the Clippers want to be, there's a very, very fine line between really good coach and a championship level coach. And I just think at some point you've got to roll the dice and try something new. I, I don't think, I didn't think the Clippers would fire him, but I didn't think they'd stand pat either. You know, I think they had really high expectations for this year. One more year due to the circumstances. I was was pretty surprised. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're good. You're good. I was just going to say, I also see why Philly went after, like I mentioned earlier, like the fifth to seventh best NBA head coach right now. Like, it makes sense. It's just, if I'm Philly, I do that. Sure. Like, I say, yeah, I'm going to grab a Doc Rivers. But if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm trying to figure out why I'm going there. You know, I bet the Nets are almost kicking themselves for not because like nobody saw this move coming. I I would I would bet money that if the that if Doc Rivers was available for the Nets, they would have signed him. I would be willing to bet money that Doc Rivers would be the Brooklyn Nets head coach. And and maybe so. And I, I kind of feel like that would have worked better for him and for Steve Nash if they were just flip flopped, because I don't know how yeah. well Steve Nash is going to be able to handle Kyrie Irving when he starts having a bad mood or he has a bad day and he says something to the media that pisses off everybody on his team. Cause it's probably going to happen at some point. And that's a great transition to a new segment that you've brought to us. Um, go ahead and let you introduce your, your brainchild here. I've been, you know, kind of thinking about this stuff for a while since we haven't had a show for a couple of weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that people Sorry, tend to dude. love about the NBA, oh, it's all good, that love <laughs> about the NBA is just the kind of the, the side stories and the drama mm-hmm. off the court. So I called this NBA gossip column just because some of this is, is kind of not based off of facts. It's more just what you hear here and there. It's more a little bit of just opinion. but Or interviews and stuff like right, that. Right. It's stuff that you can't really say for sure. But I think a lot of people are probably thinking a lot of these same things. Um, so we've got two or three of them to go through today. The first one is the most recent one. 
and it's the one I'm most excited to talk about. It's Me the <laughs> the uh, statements Kyrie Irving made to the media the other day. It was mm-hmm. either right before or after game one of the NBA Finals. You know, LeBron's in the finals again for the 10th time in his career. And yep. all of a sudden, here pops up Kyrie Irving in the media again, saying that for his whole career up until this year, this upcoming season, that he's feels that he's been the best option in the clutch on his team. And then now he said, quote, first time in my career, I can look down and say that MF can make that shot too. You know, it's pretty obvious that it was a shot at LeBron. Um, and I just don't understand it in the least. I think Kyrie Irving is probably very jealous of LeBron James. I think that's a big part of the reason he wanted to leave in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. he was the number one overall pick. He was supposed to be the post LeBron kind of savior of the Cavaliers and he couldn't even make the playoffs by himself. You know, then he was supposed to make Boston take him from a team that went to the conference finals to a a legitimate championship contender. And they didn't even get out of the second round. And by all accounts, he was not a good fit in the locker room. You know, he's, he's thrown his coaches under the bus. He's thrown his teammates Mm -hmm. under the bus. He's kind of just says whatever he wants in the moment. And I don't think really thinks about the ramifications of what he says a lot. And it's just also just patently false, the fact that he was the best option in the clutch. Yeah, he made one of the biggest shots in the finals in NBA history. I mean, we gotta we can't say yeah, he did. Like that that was a big shot. Like that right. was a legacy saving shot for like just the one. I'm just gonna say just that one. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and, but, and Ray Allen. But right. And and you know, everybody that's ever been in that in that situation that many times Correct. has had help. You know, nobody's Correct. done it. This idea that one guy carries another or carries a team is so stupid to me. Like nobody's ever won one on five. Nobody's ever played one on five. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure LeBron James would tell you that every guy on his roster that he's ever played with is just as important as he is just because that's the kind of guy he is. He may not really think that, but that's what he's going to say. Well, that's why typically speaking, LeBron James has always needed to be surrounded by shooters up until very recently. He's just, that's just the one one little chink in his chain, you know, right? I mean? he's a little bit more magic Johnson than he is Michael Jordan. And, and, you know, it's just kind of, for the most part, it's a lot sexier to score than it is to set up your teammates. So, you know, I think that's kind of one of the reasons he gets that knock so much, mm-hmm. but I also kind of view LeBron in the same lens as like a Wilt Chamberlain in that any given night, he could go out and get whatever he wanted stats wise. Like, yeah. and, he, and I think he could do it still, even in now in year 17, he could still go out there and drop 50 anytime he wanted. I just think he knows that there's better ways to win, easier ways to win, and that that's not going to work in the finals. So, and, you know, like I said, it's just kind of pick your flavor there. But yeah. in the time Kyrie and LeBron were teammates, LeBron actually shot better from the field and from three in clutch situations. So it's that's what I mean when I say it's just not true. You know, Kyrie Irving has hardly even proved that he can be the number one guy on a team that can even win a playoff series, let alone talking about being the best clutch shooter on every team he's ever been on. And Mm -hmm. just the timing of it, you know, it just shows that he's dying to be relevant. He wants to be in the media so bad. You know, Mm -hmm. I kind of took, didn't really like what he said about how if he was healthy, he wouldn't even be wanting to play in the bubble because it would take away from everything else they were trying to do in terms of social justice. That's really easy to say when you're not going to play anyway. It's really easy to say when you've already, you know, kind of cemented your position in the hierarchy of things in the NBA. You know, you don't have to worry about making a roster ever again. You're set for life financially. You know, that doesn't 
take into account a rookie that's you know at the end of the bench or a guy that's gonna gonna be in the playoffs for the first time. You know, it's like I said, it's really easy to to throw stones when you're not really able to play. It was, mm-hmm. I think, just he just seems like he, no matter what is going on, or no matter where he is, or who's his teammates, he's either unhappy or he's starting controversies, and it just shows how relevant he wants to be at, at any given time. And it, I just think LeBron being in the spotlight again and being in the finals has kind of been eating away at him, and I kind mm-hmm. of feel like this is where that kind of came from. So, yeah. And I want to just lead off Austin by saying that a lot of what you said about Kyrie, I largely agree with, but I'm going to be kind of counter to what you just yeah. said. And just to kind of let the, the, you know, the viewers and the listeners know, you know, this is the gossip column. This is new. Um, we just so happen to kind of disagree slightly on this. And it's not like we're trying to be like first take where we have to disagree with each right. other, you know, like, it's it's not like that at all um but i but i do want to say that i don't know that this is obviously a shot at lebron but when Kyrie says something like this is the first time obviously that's like lebron falls under under that umbrella right um but i don't look look at it as an insult to another player right like i look at it as a boost to chemistry on his current team which is something that almost every nba player does you know what I mean? Like LeBron right. did, did it for the Lakers. He's he he built up his team, um, and it's something that you like. Even you, Austin, you just criticize Kyrie for his team chemistry and all this other stuff. I think that this is him trying to do that the best way that he knows how. Is he doing it the best way possible? Probably not. Like you probably clean up the language a little bit, right? Um, not just talking about the MF or part, but mm-hmm. like you know thinking about what it means when you actually say these words. Cause the dude is an intelligent guy to some extent. I'll say he's educated. I'm not going to say he's intelligent, but he's right. educated. Um, I think that though, this was a boost to, to chemistry, which again, you know, almost any player does. And I think it's real easy too for us, you know, as people who want to talk about the NBA and talk about these gossip columns, as you, as you so appropriate, appropriately named, it's easy to tie. It's always easy to tie a conversation back to LeBron James. It happens all the time. You could have a conversation that has nothing to do with him, and he's going to get brought into it somehow. You it's see it on social media a hundred times a day. You all can the post time. something in a in a group about the NBA that is about the Charlotte Hornets, and somehow mm-hmm. LeBron's LeBron James the, is the gonna, number one thing in, that they're talking about. It's ridiculous. It's something like LeBron James is like the most winningest player against the the Bobcats or the Hornets, the whatever they are at the time, right? So mm-hmm. it's easy to do that because one, it's an easy draw. It's low-hanging fruit. The casual person who doesn't even watch the NBA knows who LeBron James is. So when you mention LeBron James, it's, it's going to be looked at at least it's at least going to be right. looked at right and and he's also like we mentioned earlier one of the most polarizing players to ever play people either think that he walks on water or he can never do anything right you know mm-hmm. so i think it's easy to tie that back to him i don't really care so much about Kyrie's comments in this interview when he says this is the first time in my career that i can look at a player and say hey that dude can shoot too. not score can shoot too mm-hmm. and there's a distinction between scoring and shooting and we could talk about that later my biggest concern, however, is Kyrie trying to become some like artistic philosopher by saying something like, I don't really look at us as having an NBA head coach. Mm-hmm. Really? Like you don't look at the fact that you just 
that the guy who got hired and endorsed you as one of the best playmakers in NBA history, Steve Nash, who has zero NBA head coaching experience, mind you, like this is the last thing that your first or second best player needs to be saying about an NBA head coach with no experience immediately following the dissection that he received by getting probably the most sought after job with the least amount of experience. And then your first or second best player comes out and says, I don't really look at us as having a head coach like KD could coach. I can coach Nash. Sure. If he wants to, I guess at times could, could draw a player to mind you. He's one of the best basketball minds on the floor that we've seen in recent memory. Right. So again, I know that Kyrie views of himself as like, you know, Socrates or Aristotle, you know, whoever you want. Like he's a, he's the smartest guy that he knows. Just ask him. Right. Right. Um, I don't, again, when he talks about, trying to build his team up and say like, Hey, KD, I can look at you and be like, this dude can shoot too. Like you're supposed to say stuff like that about your teammate. You are not supposed to say, I don't look at us as having an NBA head coach, especially when your team just brought on a guy with no NBA head coaching experience, right. poor form. Like and that is arguably the, the biggest hire of the off season, you know, of the whole entire coaching carousel or whatever you want to call it. You know, like you said, it is a pretty sought after job mm-hmm. and it, may or may not be the most sought after job in the NBA that's open, but it's up there. You know, anybody would want a chance to coach those guys. Because it's almost impossible to fail. It's almost impossible to fail. And you bring in a guy with no experience. He's odd. It's like, it's like when Steve Kerr got brought into golden state, like really like you expected Steve Kerr to do bad. Look at, look at what happened with Luke Walton. That dude is like the sorriest coach in the NBA right now. I was Still just going to say he can got players that won't even talk to him on his team right now <laughs> exactly and now steve nash is going to be basically the same thing just on the east coast right like it's going to be impossible to fail with kyrie irving and kevin durant and company right they have a good roster right and, and, i mean it depends on your definition of failure they're obviously not going to be a bad team they're obviously going to make it to make the playoffs and contend but mm-hmm. with the roster they have is 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 it championship or bust that's the only only real question about that well, when Kyrie is making comments like this dude is the best shooter in the world in, in Kevin Durant, which he might be. Um, and then, you know, saying stuff like I'm the I'm the coach, like you're drawing more. You're putting more arrows on your or targets on your back. Like I'm going to be coaching the team. OK, like if if that if you want all the criticism, go ahead, Kyrie. Right. Like you're making it harder for you. I yourself. just feel like the whole entire thing just is bulletin board material for mm-hmm opponents that are the last person like lebron's the last person in the world that needs bulletin board material but yeah. you know why put something out in the media that's that specific about you know every teammate i've ever had before this guy can't make that shot or you know he didn't say that but you know that's what he meant and you know or maybe he didn't but you leave but you leave ambiguity to mm-hmm. for our minds to get as Wide ranging as we want. Exactly. And like you said, it's always going to come back to LeBron if he has anything to do with it at all. And if there is any room for LeBron James to get mentioned in a conversation, especially from a former teammate, like it's going to happen. Like we still talk about Shaq and Kobe, you know, and unfortunately, Kobe Bryant has passed away and Shaq has long since been retired. And we still talk about the beef that they had between each other because it's fun to talk about players not liking each other and not getting along. There's the only thing that is probably 
just as popular or more popular than the actual product on the court is all of the what ifs surrounding everything. It's all the, yeah. the possible trades and where's this guy going to go and where's this guy going to go and who said what. It's all the best to almost do it. And I just feel like, you know, it's great. If you're trying to build chemistry with your teammates, it's a weird time to do it now when your team's been out of things for a while. It's He's the first, first and game the of the finals. Yeah. It's yeah. just, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure he's got had opportunity. He would have opportunities at any time, any day of the week to say that kind of stuff. And it was just, I Probably think it was right. very, very meticulous in how he did it, when he did it. And I just think it, it's very calculated. I almost kind of see him and LeBron, kind of the reason they didn't really get along was they're very, very alike in terms of like their mentally, the way they think about things. I think Kyrie and LeBron both think that, Hey, you know, we're going to do this my way and it's going to, and I'm the best I can do this, you know, and LeBron's obviously a little bit more of a dominant personality in that aspect because he has championships and has experience. And so Outside I don't, I think, right. And I, so that's why I think maybe Kyrie kind of bristled at the way LeBron treats his teammates. And especially when he was in Cleveland, it was obviously, obviously LeBron's team. He was the leader, you know, he was kind of unquestioned and I don't know if that sat well with Kyrie. So I, I kind of think that he, the same way that LeBron went out and said when he beat Golden State, that that made him the best ever. I think Kyrie kind of has a little bit of that in him too. And I, I kind of agree with what you said. I think he just kind of goes about it the wrong way sometimes. And he maybe doesn't mean to, but at the end of you're the day, leaving it, you're leaving it open for us exactly, to make it. Exactly. That, even though like, like we forget too, that he did call LeBron and was like, Hey bro, like I kind of see like what you were dealing with in Cleveland when he was in Boston, he called LeBron and was like, Hey man, I feel you. Like I understand what you went through when I was in Cleveland. So right. like, I don't think that like they hate each. I, I genuinely don't think that they do. I just think that it's, this is, it was the first time, like I mentioned since, you know, Shaq and Kobe that we had saw like the young guy want to have his, you know, mm -hmm. own, own team. You know what I mean? Right. So. And people forget that about Kobe Bryant. I know he's, you know, he's passed away and I don't want to be disrespectful, but people act like Kobe Bryant was like this saint that was just sent down from heaven to be like the basketball God. And mm -hmm. he was a hard guy to get along with for a long time. And growing up sure. as a Lakers fan, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It was probably the last two years of his career before I really, really started to like Kobe Bryant. I, I struggled like as a, to be a like maybe as like a, as a person, not not as a yeah, basketball. Exactly, talent, right? yeah. exactly. I felt like he kind of was the reason a lot of guys didn't come to the Lakers. He kind of, you know, he could have been the reason that Dwight Howard was just got broken. Right, you know, exactly. People don't talk about that. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing that Michael Jordan did, and it, and Michael Jordan obviously was really wildly successful with it. You know, not everybody gets your teammates so pissed off that they punch you in the face in practice, and that usually <laughs> yeah. isn't a good thing. But it, for somehow with hit with Jordan, that worked out. And it's that know, psychopath mentality that we were not everybody about. in the NBA can handle Kobe Bryant calling them soft and, and making fun of them in the media. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember when he was talking about that year, we averaged 35 points per game. I mean, he just ripped every former team and he had and some <laughs> guys, some guys react to that. Well, some guys take that as far as, as helps them light you a fire. From Jordan. Yeah. And, uh, but some guys, it just doesn't work. Some guys can't take that kind of criticism, especially not publicly. Like, you know, who wants to be called out 
in the media for anything. It's it's probably not a really good feeling. Yeah, and you get told to leave that stuff in the locker room all the time, right? Unless you're one of the best to ever do it, then you can do whatever it is that you want, which is what right. Kobe was, one of the best to right. ever do it. And you know, if you if you have the if you are a legitimate superstar, which you know, I think in, at any given season there's maybe five, maybe maybe seven. Seven would mm-hmm. be pushing it for me. But you know, there's yeah. very few guys that have that ability to kind of get away with that stuff. And Kobe That's was one of them. You're right. And LeBron's one of them, but but Kyrie's not. He's and, not. And I don't know if he's ever, I don't think he ever will be. Um, he's, he's a great point guard. He's a great scorer. Obviously, in the the finals, the year Cleveland won, he was terrific. You know, he was one of the best, you know, second options that LeBron's had. He's had a lot of good ones. Um, but I just don't think he thinks about the ramifications of everything he says. And if he does, then he's just a troll, I guess. Well, he's got, I mean, he's got that same mentality about himself that you just like, you just likened him and LeBron together, right? Like he's got the, you said that he's got the same mentality. He just doesn't have the results. Like we mentioned, you kind of have to be like that psychopath, right? You got to kind of be narcissistic in a way where you got to think that like, I'm like, he, like I said, you know, he's the smartest guy that he knows. Just ask him, like, right. you have to be that way to be the best. It just, it never looks good when you're not the the best. Right. You I mean, know? Jimmy Butler, a couple of years ago, people were really hard on him for what he did in Minnesota. And he kind of almost broke Carl Anthony Towns a little bit in the same aspect yep. of what we were just talking about. And now look at him. He's with a group of guys that like, they talk about that heat culture. It just fits his, They're his all crazy. personality better. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They all go in there and all they care about is, is winning. I Tyler Hero as a rookie say, has like some of the biggest cojones in the NBA. I heard and, somebody say on NBA radio the other day that the Nuggets, when the Lakers played the Nuggets, the Nuggets are kind of cute and cuddly. The mm-hmm. Miami Heat are the last thing you would ever call cute and cuddly. They're a bunch of killers that want to go out there and they'll do whatever they can to, to beat you. They're just, I just think they're overmatched in this series, but you know, that's not for everybody, but it's not, it, it is also tend to be pretty successful in the past. You know, usually the teams that win are the teams that have one of those alpha dogs. One of those five guys that are a legitimate superstar. You get the occasional, you know, Mavericks in 2011 with Dirk, but there's not nearly as many of those as there are the other way. They're and, really not. Those are the exception, not the rule, right? right? So right. And my only thing, my only real argument with it is, if like we said, most of the NBA players or those high level talents are psychopaths like that, why don't we hear this kind of stuff from more of them? I just, I just think it doesn't. It's he doesn't have tact, I guess, in the way he goes about it. No, absolutely, and that's what I'm saying. Like. He he does crave attention. Like it's this is attention seeking behavior. I'm not going to argue that. That's why I said earlier. Like I don't disagree with a lot of what you said. I just felt like that the the part that you were hard on him for really was about trying to build chemistry. Which this is kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing for him, right? Because mm-hmm. here he is building up Kevin Durant. Like everyone's looking at it like he's tearing down LeBron James. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But he's building, we know for a fact that he is building up Kevin Durant. He is working on team chemistry. And, you know, damned if you do, Kyrie Irving, because all we're going to talk about is who you're tearing down in this comment, not who you're building up. Right. My biggest issue with that entire interview was like, your NBA coach with zero experience, you're going to say in an interview that you don't look at him as your as your head coach. Like, that's troublesome. Right. That's probably the more controversial statement 
but mm-hmm. it gets completely buried because the other one everybody thinks is in, refer- in reference to LeBron. Because anytime we could talk about LeBron James, you know that we're going to. Exactly. And doesn't ESPN have like a contract that they have to mention his name like 10 times an hour or something? I don't know. Probably. It I, seems like it. Um, all right, I want to get on to this next one. Uh, yeah, let's roll into it. I kind of want to put my uh, my tinfoil hat on for a, it's a little bit <laughs> I, more, I, I saw that, yeah. more conspiracy than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daniel House Jr. earlier this playoffs was kicked out of the bubble and sent of the home. Houston Rockets for anybody Houston who's Rockets, unfamiliar yep. yeah. or having an unauthorized female guest in his hotel room overnight. You know, take that and run with it however you want. When we're pretty sure we everybody that's you know if yeah. you're an adult you know what was going on. Um, I have four kids. I have a good idea. A lot of holes in this story. Um, you know. I've been to Disney. I don't know if you have, but I have been to Disney. The, the Disney hotels, there's there's cameras everywhere. Correct. There's cameras in every hallway of every hotel. Why aren't why weren't they on? They have no camera footage of this woman being in the hotel at all. They mm-hmm. have no cameras going on. I mean, maybe the Rockets asked to have the cameras turned off. Who knows? Maybe everybody in the bubbles having unauthorized guests and they're just trying to hide it. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. Lou Williams going to go out and get his own guests, you know, right? Exactly. You know, and he didn't get, he didn't get in too much trouble, but uh, if she was a testing official, like they said, she was, um, why was she not authorized to be in the hotel? If she's a test administering the tests, wouldn't that mean if they have to stay in the bubble and she's administering tests, that she's already in the bubble. So I would venture to say that the, the, the term that they use is unauthorized guest not that she wasn't an authorized staff member, right? That she wasn't authorized to be, you know, basically giving conjugal visits, you know? What right. I mean? And if, if that's the case, why does the NBA care about that? I, I, I don't know that that's really a, a thing that they should worry about. If she's, if she's allowed to be in the bubble, she should kind of be, they should kind of be allowed to go anywhere. I feel like now Daniel house jr is married with kids. So that, mm-hmm. that looks bad, but that's where we get to kind of my conspiracy theory part of this. Um, like I said, the cameras weren't on. She was interviewed about her whole entire time there. She did admit to being there, so we know she was there. Correct. But she named Tyson Chandler, Chandler and another unnamed player is all the reports that have ever come out. But she did Which say Which usually that makes you lead to believe that it's probably a big... like Because consider the names that we do know. We know Tyson Chandler. We know Daniel House. Mm-hmm. Are there bigger names in Houston? Definitely. Okay. Is there a is there a star in Houston that tends to frequent you know gentlemen's clubs and likes that kind of you know activity? And again, yeah. not going to judge that, but I mean, right. just saying, follow the breadcrumbs. He's an adult and he's a professional; he can do whatever he wants. But Chandler was immediately cleared. She mm-hmm. apparently never even named anything. House Junior, and he was all of a sudden named as the player she visited because they have door data saying that he opened his hotel room door around the time that she arrived at the hotel. I mean, but they don't have cameras, right? Cause they don't have cameras. That doesn't make sense. I mean, that's a little bit of, you know, circumstantial evidence who knows mm-hmm. what he was doing. You know, it doesn't look good. And I'm, maybe I'm being naive, but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Daniel house was ever the player that she actually visited. It could have been, you know, like we talked, like we said, one of the bigger names on that roster, it could have been that she wasn't the only one and it was way worse than we actually heard. And they just scrambled to try to cover it up. But I almost could feel be. like Daniel House Jr. was kind of the fall guy for this whole thing. Sure. Um, 
and it was just interesting. Um, I've been talking about it with some of my friends on social media and at work and stuff a lot. And, you know, you hear all kinds of crazy theories and stuff, but I, I don't know how crazy this one is. It might be a little bit out there, but I, I just feel like, you know, they either somebody's story isn't true or they're covering up for something else. Yeah. I, I think that your that your thought about it being bigger than what it is like, and just throwing something out there for people to maybe somehow believe that the NBA is on top of it. Like, right. I could see that I, I would maybe buy that for 50 cents. Right. But I just want to say first, if there was any, any doubt at all to unauthorized guests in Orlando, I would rather them be safe than sorry. I think the NBA, if we're judging the rest of the world by the NBA standards, the NBA has been phenomenal on how they've handled this whole Corona, you know, situation. Like part of it is part of what initially was thought of a Daniel house immediately being left was that he had COVID-19. And if he's seeing a testing official, two things could have happened, right? One, he could have tested positive for COVID-19. She is a woman. Let's just assume that the testing official was a man that stayed overnight. Would that be the first assumption that we go to that Daniel house and a man was doing inappropriate things? Maybe he was diagnosed with COVID-19. And since that testing official came in contact with them, maybe they were suspect too. And the woman did leave, right? Because she was interviewed and things like that. So maybe she came in contact with someone who was, you know, suspected of having COVID-19. And maybe that's what happened. But because of the fact that it's more forgivable for the NBA to have for there to be some sort of extramarital affair or something along those lines happening. That's not as scary to the public as a potential spread of COVID-19 in this bubble that everyone's getting high praise about. So I didn't even, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. That's a really good point. You know, this is me putting on my tinfoil hat now. Right. So Mm -hmm. I usually don't do conspiracy theories, but I'm just saying like, if there was news of an extramarital affair happening with NBA players, something that we kind of hear about. I mean, we talked about how Lou Williams left to go get some lemon pepper wings. You right. know, it's it's almost kind of to be Hero brought his girlfriend to the bubble and she's her ex boyfriend is is uh Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma. You know, yep. So it just happens in the NBA. It's it just happens in the NBA, right? So like is that is that more forgivable than the public than potentially a you know leak of COVID-19 happening in this pristine bubble. I don't know. Like this is me putting on my tinfoil hat. I think that, uh, however, I do think that it probably was something um, inappropriate. The optics of it obviously play a bigger part in it probably than the actual what had happened was type thing. So maybe this is the NBA trying to somehow police, you know, behavior within the bubble i mean disney is the happiest place on earth we don't need this type of stuff happening there this is you know where kids go right so i don't know maybe there's optics to it Mm -hmm. i don't think in people trying to tie this into you know maybe someone called the hotline on daniel house and you know he was playing well we talked about that a lot in the playoffs how daniel house was a, a pretty decent contributor for the rockets i don't think that you know, if you're going to call on somebody, Daniel House is probably the last guy that you should be targeting. So I don't think that this was an effort for the Rockets. Hey, buddy. Okay. I don't think that this is an effort for the Rockets to um, be sabotaged in a way. Yeah, no, um, I agree with you there. I, I feel like uh, 
you know, the Rockets would be the team to file a complaint if, mm-hmm. if anybody would. And, you know, we haven't heard anything about that yet. So, Correct. you know, maybe it is just as innocent as, well, not innocent, but maybe it, what they're telling us is the case. And, you know, maybe she did just go visit Daniel House Jr. overnight and they got caught. Who knows? Um, yeah. But it's definitely more fun to speculate about, you know, what could have happened. You know, who knows? Sure. Maybe James Harden was throwing parties in his hotel room and they, <laughs> they didn't want everybody to find out. And it would look really bad for the league if one, if there was a leak of co- of COVID, or two, if it was just like rampant unauthorized get unauthorized guests every night or all over with all the different teams. And yeah, basically know, just passing your room key to the right. You right. Know? There have been you know speculations and reports of that that may have been the case. At least I heard with Houston's team. I don't know if they were the only team or if there was any at all but the the league acted pretty quickly to get him out of the bubble and to shut him down so yes. you know i feel like it's probably a pretty isolated case but you, you never really know and i just you know. you know what really intrigues me is the fact that they don't have the, the cameras on you'd think if they're that worried about people getting in and out they'd have the cameras going and they'd have people you know correct monitoring them all the time it's not like the nba doesn't have the the ability to do that if they need to nor I mean, disney have, right they have player tracking stuff on them so they if anybody gets tested positive they can immediately see who else they came in contact with so they know where they're at pretty much at Mm -hmm. all times um it was just interesting to see and you know i I don't know if we'll hear any more about it or if he's made any public statements or anything but i do know his wife seemed like she was pretty unhappy on social media about it and i I don't blame her (laughs) yeah i mean as to be expected i could imagine that if there were allegations on my end that my wife would probably not be too pleased either. So that's, right. that's kind of to be expected. And and it is kind of sad what you said, but it is also true. I mean, we've become so desensitized in terms of the NBA, as far as, you know, cheating and NFL. I mean, both, both. Yeah. You know, it is almost more forgivable, at least in terms of how quickly it's going to be out of the news cycle. You know, if Daniel House Jr. was the reason that COVID-19 tore through the NBA bubble, that would never stop being a story. But this this came and went. Yeah. And also you look at the alternative. You mentioned how sad it is. It is kind of expected. Well, look what D'Angelo Russell went through in Los Angeles when he tried to be counter to that type of behavior, you know, and, you know, what other people may look at something like, okay, like he's, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm not going to dive into a big, you know moral episode here but i'm just saying when people kind of deviate from what is expected you know you get traded to the nets (laughs) and And, when you're you're in the spotlight like that it's a lot different than being you or me you know what i mean like you have to think about those things and like i know when i go into my work you know i'm expected to do certain things a certain way and act a certain Mm -hmm. way. It may not be the way I act at home or the way I am with friends, but that's where you have to, you know, you have to be able to draw the line somewhere. And, and in defense of Daniel house jr, if it was him and he was guilty of this, I mean, they, it's not okay to cheat, but regardless, even if he was single and he had an unauthorized guest, it's a long time to be stuck in a hotel room by yourself. You know, they've been some of these guys have been there for almost three months. Yeah, they're with their teammates, but they can't go do anything really. And yeah. I'm sure it, it does take a toll on people. So you know, I, I'm sure it does. And again, you know, not to make this a moral discussion, you know, but that is that is part of it, right? 
And then we'll get to the to the last one that you have here for the gossip column. And this is where, you know, supposedly a Boston writer leaked a fake story that Victor Aladipo and Miles Turner asked out of Indiana. And we started obviously when a player asks out of somewhere, it's only natural for us to say, where are they going to go? Right. So um, possible trade destinations included, um, you know, a, a number of teams. But the players and assets that were involved were, um, you know, Gordon Hayward. Um, Marcus Smart, the Milwaukee first round pick in exchange for a Turner and Oladipo. And, you know, Oladipo says everything that any star ever says when they're in, involved in a scenario like this. Say, no, I'm a pacer. I love Indiana. Like they do what Anthony Davis did the same thing. And I'm sure all you New Orleans Pelicans fans out there would say, yep, you're 100% right. Like they have to say that. So Oladipo saying this, saying that he wants to be in Indiana. You know, this par for the course, you're supposed to do that stuff. But um, what did you think about this, Austin, when well, that uh, a fake story was generated and in, and involved specific assets? Well, my my original thoughts were that, you know, the guy that reported this, he works for The Athletic, has mm-hmm. been he is a kind of a Celtics beat writer, so to speak, for The Athletic. And um, he's kind of been pushing this idea of trading Gordon Hayward to the Pacers since last year um, when he came back from that injury. So that's kind of what made me think that, you know, maybe he didn't have a source and maybe he just leaked this story to kind of drum up views and clicks on his, on his page. Sure. And you know, that wouldn't be the first time it's ever happened, but (laughs) it's very rare that you, you see somebody being the only guy that reports it as coming from a source and reports it with supposed like evidence backing it up. Usually yeah. if that happens, you know, somebody like Shams or Woj has said something about it too. And, or it's just a speculation thing. It's like a, you know, a wish list type of an idea where this is what you would like to see happening. Yep. This kind of read more like, you know, there's already been talks about it and whatnot. And, I just feel like if that was the case and he was actually the one who leaked the whole story, that that's just a bad way to go about things. Um, it doesn't make you look like a credible source. I don't know how you could, if that was true, how you could really believe anything that he reports in the future. And yeah. I don't, I don't know that it is a good idea. If it is true, maybe you don't want that kind of stuff getting leaked to the media. If you're Danny Ainge and that doesn't really look good that way either. So I'm sure it got him a lot of, you know, publicity for his, you know, the 15 minutes that was a a story, but I just feel like it kind of came out of thin air and being here in Indianapolis, you know, you hear a lot on both sides, people saying, oh yeah, Oladipo doesn't want to be here. But then you hear other people saying Oladipo loves it here. He's called Indianapolis his city before, Mm -hmm. you know, and like you said, everybody in sports says, oh, I'm not leaving. And then 10 days later, they're on a new team. You You know, I think I was. 13 or 14 years old when the first time I realized you can't believe anything any of these guys say when uh, Nick Saban said that he wasn't leaving LSU and then or wasn't leaving the Dolphins and then two weeks later he was the Alabama head coach yep and you know right then I realized these guys just kind of have to say that for the media Um, you're gonna get eaten every day but you know I've kind of softened my stance on it since then and you know it is this is kind of something that's pretty run-of-the-mill in terms of NBA news. There's always, you know, leaked potential trades. Buddy Heald's been in the news a lot lately as somebody that supposedly wants out in, in Sacramento. I believe that one though. I do too. That that one's gotten <laughs> pretty bad. They said now I read today that he's not even answering uh 
Walton's phone calls anymore. So that's interesting. And, you know, that wouldn't be the first time a player and a coach have had a falling out, but there's not really any ill will here between him and the Pacers. Um, I've heard that he wasn't happy with the way they rehabbed him. And that's why he was rehabbing in Miami and he has a house in Miami and, you know, fans are kind of putting their tinfoil hats on saying, well, he seemed pretty buddy, buddy with the heat players in round one. You kind of have to do that too. You kind of have to pay attention to those things too, with the way that these guys, other than outside of Giannis, I feel like a lot of these guys are just kind of friends outside of basketball. A lot of them get along. They all know each other. They all kind of grew up together. You know, I would be the first person, and I think you would agree to say that Chris Paul and LeBron James would probably kill each other to try to win a game. But in the off season, they're they're like buddies, you know. And it just it didn't used to be that way, and it, that's kind of changed. I think AAU has a lot to do with that. But yeah, um, like I said, I kind of softened my stance on this a little bit. Uh, I could I see where he's coming from. Uh, it was just weird how it came out and then a few hours later the same day they said, oh, Miles Turner, and they used the same phrasing. They said, wants to move on. So it just kind of seemed like, you know, these are, it's just like fake news just kind of trying to maybe, like you said before, cause, you know, another narrative that's trying to like, you know, cause a rift between players to, you know, maybe be able to get a guy like Oladipo or Turner. And you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world if they really did kind of make that move. I, I, Marcus Smart, I think, would be it wouldn't be smart at all to give him up. No. Um, and Oladipo, I don't know if he's ever going to be the the player he was two or three years ago before that injury. You know, he was on his way to being a, like a bona fide star. You know, all perennial all star type of player, and obviously he hasn't had a whole lot of court time since then. But he definitely didn't look anywhere near like the Oladipo of old. So it. it it kind of, like I said, I kind of have gone back and forth on this one. Um, I don't necessarily think it's as huge of a deal as I originally did. Just it caught me off guard the idea that this one guy who's kind of been pushing this trade scenario for a year and a half is the only one that reported this story. So it's God. Yeah, for real. And to me, it's not crazy to think that Oladipo wants out of Indiana because right. we've seen guys like Malcolm Brogdon step up, TJ Warren, hello. You know, we've we've seen a lot of players step up in Indy with Vic out. Um, I'm not. I don't think that he's the a surefire first option on a team anymore. And maybe he still kind of views himself that way. Um, you know, and also we got to pay attention to that he was forced, even though it wasn't specifically fi- by the Indiana Pacers, to basically report to Orlando where he was giving up around three million dollars. I want to say. Because he didn't, he wasn't designated as a team or a, a, a team member that wasn't going to Orlando. But then he kind of sort of changed his mind, which kind of understand because he was injured. Maybe he felt better one day than he did the other. But they had that going on. Um, he's due to get an extension, and he's without one, so that really doesn't sit well with players in the NBA anymore either. What's stranger to me about this whole thing is that a Boston reporter, a Boston-based reporter said that he wanted this trade to happen. I don't know how you watch the Boston Celtics and you think getting rid of Marcus Smart is a good idea. I don't know. I don't know how you... I definitely buy into the Gordon Hayward and the draft pick, right? And if you're going to get anybody out of Indiana, why is Oladipo the guy that you want to get? You already have a lot of great perimeter talent. What you need is a big, which is why I think that there is some sort of credibility to the theory that 
you want to bring in a Miles Turner specifically. I think Miles Turner would be great in Boston, kind of do some elbow action. You know, he can stand in the corner and shoot. He's, a, you know, he's led the league in blocking before. He's not the greatest rebounder, but Boston is more of a team rebounding team anyway. So I, I buy into the Gordon Hayward wanting or the shipping Gordon Hayward out of Boston for a Miles Turner and, you know, shipping out a draft pick as well. I don't believe in getting rid of Marcus Smart, and I certainly don't agree with bringing in Victor Oladipo um, with with all that. And I and on top of that, for Miles Turner, the whole trying to have him coexist with you know Sabonis, I don't think is really helping him at all. I think that his value has gone down greatly. I think that if he goes somewhere else, you're going to see him pick up his production, you know, a, a lot better than you would in Indiana. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I, I kind of see where Boston would want Turner more than Oladipo. Oladipo doesn't seem mm-hmm. like a fit with that roster. That's They have three guys that play similar to him already. And, yep. you know, look how bad they got beat, you know, down low by Miami. Bam Adebayo looked like, you know, a super-duper star against them for five or six games because – He might be the best center in the NBA, like, at least – if he's not, he's on his way next year. Yeah, but just think about how much better the the Celtics would have matched up in that series if they had a Miles Turner. To, he probably to- still would have had he, you know, Bam to his credit, probably still would have done well. Right, but I mean, there's right. a there's a clear distinction between Daniel Tice and Miles Turner. I right. mean, and for honest. as thin up front as the Miami Heat are, when as we saw in the game one against the Lakers, when Bam went out, mm-hmm. the they make Boston Celtics look like the Houston Rockets in terms of roster size, you know, the, yeah. uh, the Celtics aren't a big team to say the least. And that and, never really gets talked about either. Right. And, and no, it doesn't. You're right. And um, Marcus smart, I think is kind of the vocal leader of that whole team. I think he's kind of the heart and soul of that team. Best I, blue guy in the NBA. According to me, so. I think there's two kind of schools of thought as to who leads the team. It's mm-hmm. either the best player which is ideal like LeBron. He's always, you know, pretty much always been the leader on his team other than mm-hmm. maybe the first year he was with Dwayne Wade. People say Dwayne Wade taught him how to win, whatever that means. But there's the other way is it's the vocal leader or the hardest worker or, you know, the glue guy, like you said, because not every superstar is a vocal leader and you kind of need one in the locker room. I think that's why Greg Popovich, made those comments that Kawhi was never the leader on the, on the Spurs, even mm-hmm. though he was the best player, he doesn't ever talk. So, you know, you can't inspire everybody just by showing them how hard you play. And Correct. Marcus smart, you know, he, he took some heat for what he said in the locker room or on the way to the locker room after the game two loss against Houston or against Miami, but it, it kind of worked. They came out and played a lot harder the next game. And, you know, I think he, is kind of the the motor that makes that team go. They have stars around them that are better than him. But oh, and by you know, the way, he produces too. You right. know, he does. And people forget, you know, he hasn't had to score that much for Boston until really this year. He's kind of picked it up a lot. But you know, he was one of the leading scorers in the nation in college for more than yeah. a, for more than one year. And I kind of felt like his first couple of years, I didn't know if he was being utilized right or if he just wasn't as good as I thought he was, but he's definitely kind of become the player I expected him to be. I think you're not making any any gains by replacing him with Oladipo. I, I just don't see none, that. None at all. Like, and they're basically, I think that Smart is better 
at what he does. But if you were to bring in Oladipo, you're not taking the ball out of Tatum's hand to give it to Oladipo. Right. You're not taking the ball out of Brown's hands to give it to Oladipo. So you basically put him in the exact same role as Marcus Smart. You're going to have to pay him more than what you're giving Marcus Smart, who really only makes about $12 million a year, which is a steal, by the way. So you're going to have to pay Oladipo more money to do less than what Smart's giving you, which, you know, I'm not involved in stocks really that much, but that doesn't seem like, you know, a good return on investment to me. Um, and, but again, I, I totally see getting rid of Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner. The only thing is, is that those contracts don't align because Turner gives you roughly 18 to $19 million a year while Hayward is giving you like $30 million a year. And he has a player option for next year, which he will pick up because he is injury prone. So, you would I'd have be really to- surprised this offseason if hardly anybody declines a player option, unless they're just, you know, way above and beyond what they're getting paid. Yeah. Because, I mean, there is a lot of huge player options from that, whenever that year was when Chris the Paul, new yep. TV contract came in and all those guys were getting so much money, it was ridiculous. There's a ton of bad contracts because of that now. You know, the NBA put that that salary floor in place for the first time that year. So got, teams couldn't hoard cap space for more than a season. Yep. And so you, you got a guy like Nick Batum making almost $30 million and Gordon Hayward. And oh. who knows? Gordon Hayward may have lived up to it. He was a star in Utah. He was doing good. And then he had that horrible injury. He's not really had a chance to be 100% and see what he, see what you've really got in him. And he's Boston. not going to be put in a $30 million a year role in right. Boston. No, no matter how good like he's he does not- still have a home he's from here. So, yeah. you know, there is some, there is probably a nugget of truth in there. But I then just how do him and, uh, but then how do him and um, Tony buckets coexist on a team then, you know what I mean? So. Um, right. And I, I don't know. I just, like I said, it seemed weird how the story came out. It, yeah. hundred percent source that it came from, you know, this guy's kind of been the only person talking about these, this trade, yeah. And to that extent, but it, it, it is just kind of a weird idea all around. I don't know if it makes either team really any better. Like why would the Pacers do it just because they're going to Oladipo is going to leave in a year. I mean, or like you said, right now he might be as far down as their number three option on the whole team. Could so, be. You know, if they, if he wants to leave and he's, if or they view him as the because you're getting some bonus too, you got some bonus. War, you know, TJ, uh, Tony Buckets, and then Malcolm Brogdon. He could even be their fourth option. Right. And, Very you know, to Gordon. he may never get that explosiveness back. You don't, you see that a lot with the injury that he had. It was, it was a bad injury. He, mm-hmm. he hurt himself bad. And, you know, sort of, so did Gordon Hayward. And I just don't know why the Pacers would, what return are they getting? Marcus Smart, they would get, which obviously I think would, they would. He throw a with field day for Marcus. Right. I think any team would be happy to have him. Correct. Um, but as far as Gordon Hayward, Oladipo swap, you're taking one guy that one team's may view as damaged goods and replacing him with another guy that another team views as damaged goods. So, yeah. you know, why take a risk on another guy that's kind of in the same boat as the guy you already have? Yeah. You know? I think that the Pacers would benefit more in that trade because we mentioned the, you know, the redundancy that Oladipo would bring to the, to the Celtics, but Hayward to the, you know, to the Pacers basically gives them kind of a Boston Celtics vibe where you got a lot of perimeter wing players, right. which is something that they don't have now. They're kind of junked up in the middle. So it gives them a little bit more versatility in their rotation. 
So I could and see the Pacers wanting that, but as you not can see in these, in these finals, it doesn't ever hurt to have, you know, extra guys, you know, next man up kind of mentality. You need two or three guys that can kind of play, you know, you need two or three big guys that can, you know, handle the paint. You need two or three wing stars that can go out and get you a bucket when you need it. You know, we kind of saw that with Milwaukee, you know, they put Giannis in position to be the main ball handler and the main guy to do everything. And that's, mm-hmm almost impossible to do in the playoffs no wholeheartedly agree and again you know wrapping up this the the nba gossip gossip column which you know great idea by you by the way austin our this goes into what i really appreciate about what you bring to the to the team i'm honestly thrilled to have you as a coach i'm looking forward to getting back into the swing of things with you know getting back to a little bit more of a routine and schedule now that i got the move out of the way but uh, man, this was a this was a great episode, and uh, yeah, uh, me too, man. And it, it's obviously always a an honor and a pleasure to to link back up with you here on the show, man. Uh, do you got any work or anything that you want to let the viewers and listeners know? Oh, about? I, I have plenty. I've been kind of doing double <laughs> duty for a while at Game Changer Sports Network. Um, we're uh, it's football season's in full swing, so I've been doing you know two or three game recaps for NFL games every week. Um, I did a little piece on Billy Donovan. I'm trying to get every Lakers heat game and recap done for those. So it's a busy, busy time right now. I'm I'm not finding a whole lot of time to do, you know, other projects or like opinion pieces, which are what I really like to do the most, mm-hmm. but uh, I've definitely put out a lot of stuff. Um, I am working on something that I'm pretty excited about. It's my uh, top 10 sports movies of all time. It's oh, not there out you yet, go. but it's going to be uh it's going to be a while before it's done because it, I'm having trouble getting the list down to 20, let alone 10. So there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of good sports movies and it's hard to determine what I, what I want to focus on in terms of criteria, you know, because I'm starting to kind of feel like a lot of the movies that I would put up there pretty high, maybe just hold like a lot of nostalgia for me. Cause I watched sure. them when I was a kid, you know, like I personally would put mighty ducks in like, really high up there but it's kind of like a it's kind of like a kid's movie more than anything kind of campy yeah you know i i don't know if you could even compare it to like 42 or some of the other great sports movies or coach carter i've actually never seen glory road that's one of the ones i have to watch well you can't make a list then dude you know that's why i'm that's why i'm currently struggling with it because i'm trying to to watch the movies that people have recommended that i haven't seen white man can jump right that's that that's that's on there like i said i'm i'm i've got it down to about 30 right now so we'll see we'll see how long it takes but i'm getting there well right on and uh just for anybody who's interested on my end i do with the move i haven't been able to do much but i did manage to get a scouting profile out there for ob top and put in a good amount of work prior to the you know evaluation as i've you know been covering the nba draft and you know, have mock drafts and first and second rounds and, you know, big boards and all that. So I had a lot of, I'm sorry. You have him going number one, don't you? I do based off the team need. So, um, Mm -hmm. I I felt like, you know, he would suit the Timberwolves needs a lot more. There is rumor now that the Sixers are looking to trade. I was going to say Doc Rivers said he wants to trade Simmons. He just wants another guard that can't shoot. I don't know why. (laughs) <laughs> but um yeah so i got a piece out there about ob top and you know covering his strengths and weaknesses 
you know, kind of addressing some some concerns that I have, you know, which every prospect, you know, every prospect in this draft has concerns, unfortunately. So or fortunately, because it gives you more to talk about. But you can go check that out at uh, offtheballnetwork.com. Nice. Uh, just again, real quick, uh, putting a plug out there for our website. Again, we haven't been working that much, but the website is up there. It's, uh, you know, breaking the game podcast.com. Got a YouTube channel out, too, for breaking the game. Go and check out our, you know, work that we have done. It's out there on Apple and, you know, Spotify, all those places where you can get your podcasts and things like that. Go and check those out. Uh, Go back and listen to them again because you can kind of see where we were right on the playoffs and where we were wrong. And some of those things are still holding true now. So it's always cool to go back and review some of the stuff that we had put out. Have you ever seen the, uh, the Twitter account? It's like ice cold takes. Where no, they, it's they chronicle every media member and like the the horrible takes that they've had like publicly mm-hmm. and like where everybody was wrong all the time. And uh, I was just gonna say it would be kind of cool to eventually get on there at some point, even you know, even though it's embarrassing to be wrong and just be cool to be noticed by them. Yeah, just to have some sort. Of, I mean, all publicity. Is I think they have a whole right? page dedicated to Charles Barkley. I'm pretty sure. Oh my goodness, guarantee. But, yeah, I mean, right? it's not hard. No. But, <laughs> but that's kind of just, what makes Charles so great, though. It is. I mean, he doesn't know. He can't tell you who the 12th man on every roster is like we could, right? So, right. you know, he's obviously there for entertainment game. purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, right on. Award, but, that show wins awards for a reason. It sure does. And, I mean, EJ is pretty, mm-hmm. is pretty good. Oh, they're all good. Let's be they honest. Are. Shaq's the worst one, and Shaq's great. Yeah. I, we need to see what we can do about getting Paul Pierce taken off the TV because right. I – I, I saw a funny thing about it said the uh, 2008 Boston Celtics and it said uh, Doc Rivers has been fired twice since oh, then. This, yeah. Paul Pierce is the worst analyst and then uh, on TV. Andrew Kendrick Perkins is the second worst analyst. KG still thinks it's 2008. Ray and Ray Allen Ray hates, hates everybody. Ray Allen hates everyone. That's um, but yeah, man, I definitely am glad you're back. I'm excited to get going with this again, too. Uh, I miss doing this with you a couple times a week. Uh, just feel like I've been overloaded with stuff to talk about. So this was fun to get some of that off my chest and get that. You got a lot of pent-up aggression that you wanted to just right. throw at me, huh? Well, I can't debate this stuff too well with my wife because she just kind of agrees with me to try to shut me up. So <laughs> I feel you. I think that that's a widely used tactic by many of our uh Many of our wives, for sure. But uh, this was definitely fun, man. Um, just to let the viewers and listeners know, we got shows that come out every Monday and Thursday. So, you know, we're going to be recording again on Wednesday. By that point, the final game of the NBA should have already been played. So we're going to get in. I'm sorry. They play today, right? They play today. So, yeah, the finals, if everything goes according to plan, should be over by our next episode. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be lacking for things to talk about right. because the off season is a big love of mine. I love transactions. So we're going to be where all the action happens, man. That's right. By the that's time you right. get to the games, you kind of know who's going to be good and who's not. It's This is the part of the year where it's it's fun to kind of speculate. For sure. For sure. So be on the lookout for those because we're probably going to get creative and we're probably going to disagree on a lot of stuff, which is going to make for a great show. But as always, Austin, it's been a pleasure, you know, working with you, recording with you today, man. So happy to be back. Go check out all the great stuff that he has going on on the Game Changer Sports Network. On my end, go check out offtheballnetwork.com. There's a lot of great stuff, you know, football included. I know it's football. Steven, you know, 
you've done a lot of great work for our website and our YouTube page. So, you know, everybody go check that out. He works really hard at this stuff. You know, he's constantly, you know, putting in work and you do a great job with all of it. I'm really impressed with everything. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to get back at it. Thank you very much, sir. But as for you, the viewers and the listeners, you have been awesome as always. We will catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Have a good one.